Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Kim Bomani, a special midweek swag football preview episode. We're yours truly at Independent Intel Podcast with a special guest, um, Blue Bloods, man, my, my guy Blue. He's been on the grind all offseason when it comes to FCS and FBS football. And with week zero approaching next week, I wanted to get this special podcast content cranked out with an expert in the field of football. And we're going to focus on SWAC in itself. Um, so before we dive into those big topics, I want to really give Blue some early questions. I know he's really been busy covering FCS topics throughout the offseason. Um, how has your offseason been, Blue? Really doing this full time now. I know you're in school, kind of done with school now. So you're really immersing yourself within the Blue Bloods podcast on your YouTube channel. How has that experience been really becoming more of an enhanced full time journalist now? Man, it's it's been amazing this all season. I, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, got to travel for the first time in a while for all the media, the different media days. I think we hit seven in like eleven days across the country, I mean, from like Louisiana all the way up to Virginia for MEAC Media Day. And I mean, just going day in and day out, driving on the road, living living out of a suitcase in hotels there for like two weeks, man. So that was that was an experience, man. But it was really cool to meet a lot of the coaches, the SIDs, ADs, and some of the media guys across the conferences and really getting this. It's really a surreal experience when you talk to players, coaches and things like that. And they're like, oh, man, we, we, we know who y'all are. We've heard the show or something like this. And it's like, wow, OK, so we getting out there and, then you know, we, we have we have the honor this year to be able to vote in the FCS top 25 for FCS stats uh, perform, vote for the Walter Payton Award, Bud Buchanan, Jerry Rice, Coach of the Year, all that, the Eddie Robinson Award. So shout out to Craig Haley and everyone who had a part in that man but the offseason has been great i i think i said on my show the other day i'm just ready to see something on the field man all the speculation all the you know what is this team going to look like what is this player going to look like it, it's time to suit up and play some football here man yeah well this pod is going to focus on touching base on the predictions and the projections but not one last time before we're able to see <laughs> it for real on the field and i can't wait for that to happen as well a um, couple more questions for you uh you were really covering the swag immensely full-time this year I, I think you said on one of the segments i watched on your show um this was the third year you had third year of you covering the swag and so what was the most surprising story you broke or reported on about a specific swag program this offseason i mean i, I guess you can even I, I think you gotta even i'll give you a recent one and an older one i mean the travis hunter story man when that came out in december after the season i mean i, I think Anybody who has been a fan, been an analyst, been anything in the college football world, I mean, I could give you a list of a million things everyone thought would happen before an FCS school landing the number one recruit in the country, especially one that was committed and one that was almost like a lock for that school. I mean, Travis Hunter was committed to Florida State forever, man, and for coach prime and that staff to not only flip him but keep it under wraps up until like 35 45 minutes before he actually signed was another impressive feat as well and i, I think you have to give that storyline number one and then like a recent one too i, I don't think is going to get a lot of credit is the mike zimmer uh story that broke uh, i believe it was yesterday when coach prime put it on instagram the fact that you know, it's all everyone has analysts 
But to look at the to, to get a former NFL head coach with who has went to the playoffs and won, who has won divisions, who has a Super Bowl ring, coaching the head coach of that team. I mean, it's it's such a unique experience to really kind of see everything that's going on in college ball right now, especially at the FCS level and especially in the SWAC. And so I think Mike Zimmer being hired as a defensive analyst and combining him with coach prom and some of the other NFL coaches on that staff. I mean, the experience and the advice and the, just the overall learning experience it would be for those guys in Jackson, on Jackson State's roster is going to be – I don't even think you could put that into words. So I think those two stories right there, man, have to be right up there as some of the just most insane stories I've heard this offseason and got to cover and really kind of break down with everybody. Yeah, man, those two were the biggest. Um, with Travis Hunter, like you stated, committed to Florida State for really his entire high school career, damn near in really leading up to that point to hear that he flipped to JSU was an extraordinary moment for the swag in HBCU football. And recently, like you stated just before, Mike Zimmer coming on along as a defensive assistant with Deion Sanders, they've had that strong bond and relationship. There's mutual respect, admiration, and love between those two parties. And so to kind of see them mesh together potentially this upcoming year to help that Jackson State defense go to another level should be an intriguing sight to see. Um, but as much as there's always good, intriguing, or shocking stories to drop and to talk about as a reporter like yourself, what was the most disappointing story you reported on from a SWAC institution this offseason? Mm, man, you're trying to get me on the hot seat here, but I'm not going to be allowed to go to some of these games I got lined up. Um, uh, you know, I feel like I'll give you this. One of the more interesting stories and one that I had to, I felt like I had to watch what I say and be very cognizant of the approach I took to it was the entire Art Browse grambling situation. Uh, anytime you're talk, you're reporting or talking or trying to analyze a story that involves victims of sexual assault, that involves th things that happen, you know, uh, even though it might have been years ago, whatever, like you still have to be cognizant of people who might feel a certain type of way. You don't want to come off as that you're ignoring the victims. You don't want to come off as, you know, someone who doesn't have any forgiveness though either. So kind of walking that fine line of uh, acknowledging the mistakes that Art Browse made and what it could mean to those victims to see him getting that opportunity and things like that. And really with that story, what, what, what was the hardest thing? I think for everybody, man, from YouTubers to analysts to, to reporters, everyone was, there was so much misinformation swirling out there. Cause if you ask five reporters, you probably get five different stories with five different takes on it. And I think the way Grambling handled that man was, uh, I still, I still don't know if it was the correct way to do it. I think they kind of gave into public pressure, similar to what happened with the volleyball coach. I still don't think that's completely solved, even though I'm a football guy, so I really don't have an opinion on that story anyway. But with the R. Brawl situation, man, it, it went from Grambling fans were on top of the world. They get Hugh Jackson. They get um, Art Browse to come in to run the offense. They have all these great quarterbacks transferring. Maurice Washington comes in at running back. You land, I believe, a top 10 FCS prospect in Faison Wilson at the wide receiver spot. The offensive line looks like it potentially could be revamped. I mean, the momentum was so strong there for Grambling State. 
And then all of a sudden, it was kind of like the rug got pulled out of them. They started facing the backlash. You started hearing whispers here and there about, you know, they were, you had that whole, um, I forgot who it was um, that called them out. There was a bunch of people that called them out, but Doug Williams, especially going out there and publicly just, I mean, speaking out completely against it. And then they fire him unexpectedly. And then he goes on Jason Whitlock and it just, it got messy so fast. And then you have Stephen A. Smith inserting his name in there. And I think that situation publicly got really out of hand. And like I said on my show, if you were going to make a hire like that, regardless of what side of the fence you want, and that, that's not what I'm speaking on, but regardless of what side of the fence you're on all, as a fan analyst, whoever, if Gramble is going to make that hire, they needed to prepare for the backlash that they were going to face. And it just seemed like they thought it was going to fly under the radar. And then I guess when it caught fire like it did, which I think if you ask anybody who's been around the college football world, that was go whoever hired Art Bras was going to get just a wave of backlash. If you could just get past that, that news cycle for two, three weeks, man, everything would, another story would have came along. Everyone would have forgot about it. And if you guys go out there and win a championship, every, everyone forgets, every, and no one's going to even mention it. And so I think that story was one that I don't know if I was disappointed. I don't necessarily agree with them, you know, the way they handled it. But that was the one that I think I was most uncomfortable covering just because it really put me to the test in terms of trying to make sure I didn't step on anyone's toes and that I was reporting the correct information and, and things like that. Yeah, those are always the tough ones, Blue, um, especially in journalism, dividing um, criminal activity from the sport of football. I mean, obviously, uh, our job is to talk about the in-depth nuances of the sport. But when you have a new story like that kind of leak out, you kind of got to prioritize somewhat more so than the game itself. Um, the victims may be involved, the situation is totality. But I'm going to agree with you with the Brow situation. Um, I do think if Grambling had better leadership at the top within their athletic department, they could have survived because, you know, maybe they go on this, like, media tour where Browse kind of talks about how he um, learned from his mistakes and he's become a better man because of it. And Hugh Jackson maybe sitting beside him um, emphasizing that he's in his corner and he feels like this is the hire that's not going to help Grambling football grow, but I think his coaching staff as a whole grow as well. But they didn't really take that route. Um, they kind of panicked, like you stated, and everything kind of blew up in their face. So that by far, I agree, was probably one of the more disappointing stories within the SWAC football world this offseason. Um, coming up next, man, me and Blue, we're going to dive into the SWAC East and the SWAC West. And so I'm going to have a rundown of all 12 teams. So if you're a fan of any of the 12 teams in the SWAC, you're going to love me and Blue. are going to go back and forth about them all. And we're kind of going to start off with the SWAC East in itself and the Jackson State Tigers. Um, their highest returning PFF graded offensive player is Shador Sanders, the FCS freshman of the year. He had an 83.1 offensive greatest true freshman season. And then defensively, their highest returning PFF player on that side of the football is surprisingly Cameron Silman Craig, I think one of the more underrated safeties in the SWAC. Um, he had an 88.7 defensive grade his true freshman season on 669 total snaps. So, Question one for my man, Blue. How dynamic can this Jackson State University receiving core be compared to what they were a season ago? I mean, they're possessing some elite talent, such as freshman all-world recruit Kevin Coleman, number four receiver in the country coming out of high school. He commits to Jackson State during, you know, the All-American game. Um, they've got, you know, Shador's alluded to, I think, in a conversation he had with you, Blue, at 
the SWAT media day how Quay Davis is going to be a Debo Samuels factor in the offensive game. They've got a two-way freshman phenom that we've already mentioned, the aforementioned Travis Hunter, who, in my opinion, reminds me of Justin Jefferson in terms of his start-stop ability as a route runner. And he's got Percy Harvin breakaway speed. I didn't even mention Malachi Wyman. He had a 76.0 receiving grade a year ago on just 55 targets. Do you believe they can potentially be the best receiving core in the SWAT when it's all said and done in 2022? I mean, I think you got to give it to them already, uh, to be honest with you, just in terms of like pure on paper talent. Um, you know, I think the wide receiving core is going to be better than last year because I think when you look at what they lost with Warren Newman and Josh Lanier and then Keith Colbert were really the three main losses. You lose um, Ala Brown, too, who didn't play a huge role as a wide receiver to McNeese State, too. But I think when you look at what they brought in, man, I mean, they're going to be really hard to stop. And I've talked to a few people inside the Jackson State program, some parents of players, too, that have been at the scrimmages and the practices. And, I mean, I've, what I was told is they're winning, like, 85 to 90 percent of the reps against the corners including nugget like mr moore uh nuggets dad talked to me on the live stream he said nuggets getting routed up this because how good these wide receivers are and you know i think a guy who doesn't get a lot of shine because everyone's going to talk about the travis hunters getting snaps quay davis coming in malachi wadman who was tied for the lead um conference and in, in touchdowns and receiving touchdowns last year dallas daniels for me is a guy who I think really and truly has one of the highest ceilings in that wide receiving room. He's a transfer from Western Illinois, was one of the top receivers in the in the Missouri Valley Conference, comes down with a lot of experience. And I think putting him in the slot, he's a better overall player than Warren Newman or Josh Lanier was. And I think he's a more ready player than Kevin Coleman is right now, just due to how young he is. And so... I think Dallas Daniels, and I've heard he's look amazing in camp and really, and some people have said him and Rucker have emerged as the top two wide receivers in that room right now. But I think due to his experience, due to his versatility, and the fact that when you look at Wadman, he's really a deep threat, you know, where you can just kind of throw it up to him, allow him to go up there with his huge frame and go make a play like plays basketball he just is that guy in terms of his vertical I think you look at some of the other wide receivers and you don't have that guy right now that has proven he can go over the middle he can make those underneath catches and go make a play he can he can do the intermediate work that you had with the Keith Corbin last year who led your team in receiving and I think that's what Dallas Daniels is going to bring to this team so I think the sky's the limit for this wide receiving core. If it clicks and Shador continues to develop like a lot of people think he does, I mean, I think you can make an argument that right now, I mean, this potentially could be one of the deepest receiving cores in college football right now. Yeah, man, your Dallas Daniels point is unique um, because, you know, coming out of Jackson State in terms of just reading the clippings and seeing what they're promoting, he's not getting a lot of promo publicly. So for behind the scenes for you to get that information and, the takeaway is, man, he's one of the top two receivers in our room right now as we head towards the Orange Blossom Classic. It is a unique situation to have because Jackson State does have one of the deeper receiver rooms, not just in the SWAC, but in the FCS overall. Um, the guy I saw in spring and the guy I've seen in reps, man, I really think Kevin Coleman could be special. And I do think by the end of the year, he might be the best receiver on the team. And he does present this Unique blend at receiver that they really didn't have last year. You alluded to Corbin kind of being the chain mover, Malachi being the vertical threat. 
but they didn't really have that guy that can play inside and out and do it all. And I think that's what Comey can do. He can take the top off the defense. He can hold his own on the boundary because he's a solid route runner, and he's a guy with the ball in his hands. He can make plays. And as Shadour develops into the quarterback that he could potentially be, um, I do think that him relying on or having receivers that can that present an unlimited route tree opens up his ability to improve as a passer, and I think takes that offense to a whole nother level. So um, great problem that Jackson State has <laughs> to have, you know, receivers one to eight all be, you know, potential factors within their offense as we head into the upcoming year. Uh, the second question, who replaces James Houston's pass rushing productivity? I mean, James Houston is a guy, Blue, um, I mean, he was phenomenal last year. Um, pass rushing grade was through the wazoo. It was like 90 plus. For the SWAC newcomer of the year, he had 75 total pressures, 37 hurries, 18 hits, 20 sacks, all PFF recorded statistics. And while one man won't be able to pick up his entire production, they got potential guys on the edge like Miles Gaddy, um, Justin Reagan. And then we I've heard you talk about this as well, and I can agree with it. I think their strength is probably going to be within the defensive interior, to say the least, until they can find out what type of package tandem they can present on the edge. Um what do you think the Jackson State defensive line will be relying on as something that they can lean on as a strength? The edge presence or their interior push within the front? Uh, I think I think their interior is going to be a little bit better than their edge presence. I, and when you say how are they going to replace, for James, replace James Houston, I think they replace him in quantity rather than like a single player having a year like James Houston had. Um I just I don't see it, man, because that 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 was a historic year for a defensive end, and for someone to be that dominant, you know, as a defensive lineman is so hard to do. And so I think you're going to see Antonio Doyle, the Texas A&M transfer, really emerge. I've heard he has looked amazing in camp. Niles Gaddy's put on like 20 pounds, man, from what I've seen, and I mean that dude looks like a tank now. And so I think Doyle and Gaddy are the first two names that come to mind as two guys who could go out there and, and get to the passer. And so instead of seeing Houston's, I don't remember, almost 20 sacks by himself, I think you're going to see more guys have like eight, nine sacks, and they're going to have a more diverse skill, you know, uh, I, I was a pass rushing attack. And I think what you're going to see is the inside guys are going to create a lot of opportunities for Aubrey Miller to have a big year too in terms of blitzing because you're not going to be able to – in my opinion, I think Devontae Davis and uh, Katron Evans, True Thompson, and some of those guys, just due to pure size, there's going to be some swack offensive lines that are going to have to double those guys, and it's going to leave someone free, and that potentially could be Aubrey Miller, Michael uh, Michael Please, or one of those linebackers who are coming on a tough blitz. And uh, But if I had to pick some edge guys, I think Niles Gaddy and Antonio Doyle are the two names that you're probably going to watch for to replace the production of James Houston this year. Yeah, man, Gaddy was so raw last season. And I think what he benefited from was potentially learning from a guy like James Houston, having his reps his first time around with Jackson State slightly reduced to build himself up for a moment like this this year. To have coaches potentially in his ear saying, hey, you got to get stronger. Hey, you got to add a variety of moves to an already athletic, angular, long athletic frame. And to, to hear you say he added 20 pounds, to hear you say he's putting in the work to be a more complete edge rusher is huge. And I think him and the Texas A&M transfer can do a pretty good job of tag teaming to kind of somewhat make up for Houston's presence. But you're right. When I wrote this question, I kind of knew the answer and you basically confirmed it. 
it's going to be an incremental type productive level for them on the edge. I mean, James Houston is a special talent. When you lose a guy like him, it's hard to just automatically the next year have somebody waiting behind them that can produce that same level of production. So I think they're going to tag team it on the outside. They've got tremendous depth in the interior that I think is going to allow the linebackers and the edge rushers to thrive in more one-on-one situations. And, hey, the sky's the limit for that Jackson State front seven. That has some question marks, but we can't deny the talent that we see on paper. Um, last question for the Jackson State Tigers. Is their offensive line truly improved, Blue? I mean, I know they got the grad transfer, Zachary Bro, sophomore transfer, Evan Henry, both ULM transplants that are expected to lead the offensive line renaissance alongside preseason all-swag lineman Tony Gray, but all didn't have a PFF pass blocking grade above 68 a season ago. They even got junior ULO transfer, Tyler Brown. He only played 256 snaps in a career mar by injury. And he was also playing behind a very talented Raging Cajun line. And so with all that being stated there, you know, they got these transplants. Obviously, they want them to be able to be productive within their new offensive system. That's the air raid. Are you sold that the personnel that they've bought in is able to come in and coincide with their new offensive vision while also being factors when it comes to not just pass protection, but run blocking as well? Uh, I mean, the first thing, Tony Gray is not playing. So just they handed on that first team all-conference for nothing, and he shouldn't have been second team all-conference last year either. Um, we'll leave that at that. Uh, he, his game did not warrant him to get any accolades. It, it, he was atrocious last year, and I, I think the film speaks to that. And I've been very vocal about that. I, I think when you look at the tackle spot, the you know, Simi Mawala not making the cut speaks a lot about how much they trust Willis Patrick and some of those guys. But in terms of interior, I think they're going to be a lot better. I think the guard center guard spot last year for them was really, really bad. And it made Shador a little bit happy in the pocket. And I think that caught up to him against South Carolina State and even PV. Um, when you look at what Jablonski Green and Jason Dumas could do in those two games, I mean, they got after Shador and they absolutely whooped the the offensive line last year but I think Zach Bro from what I've been hearing is the best offensive lineman on that offensive line and he has been a real saving factor at the center spot and you know as a former old lineman I talk, speak about it all the time chemistry means so much and the fact that him and Evan Henry have a history already of playing together and communicating and they know you know what to do with each other really I think those two guys are going to be the leaders and was with Bro's experience I mean He's going to be able to call out the blitzes. He's going to be able to let people know where they need to go. He's going to be able to be the quarterback of the offensive line that they didn't have last year. Now, Tyler Brown's in a position battle right now from what I hear, but I still think he's going to come away with it just due to his experience and being a part of you know a Joe Moore Award finalist offensive line when he was healthy. And so uh, I really, really like his potential. The one concern I do hear is depth at the tackle spot. Just – um. And I, I've really, you know, everywhere on that roster I've been hearing is, you know, two, three deep. I don't know, but the, what I've been told is they don't know if they have that at the tackle spot. 
And so that's a concern, especially if you have a guy go down with injury or something like that. But I think the tackle spot is something that you're going to have to see develop early in the season. They got some tough matchups. Isaiah Land week one. Tennessee State has three all-conference guys on their defensive line week two. And then you got Sundiata Anderson week three coming in. So they're going to have to figure it out quickly. But I think overall as an offensive line, you're going to be better in the interior. We'll see how the tackles progress throughout the season. But it's going to be really hard to be any worse than that offensive line was last year. Yeah, the offensive line last year was, was really bad. Um, and it's important for Jackson State this season to kind of get that under wraps because – we can all agree about a handful of teams in their own conference are returning solid defensive linemen. And so you can't roll out the same atrocity that you had as a front line protecting Shadur because he's not going to have enough time and he's going to be on his back countless of times. Now, hearing Tony Gray didn't make the cut, not surprising. I do feel like him and Shiloh, um, their rankings within you know the SWAC preseason, the all-conference teams were a little bit skewed because of names more so than play. But to hear that a guy like Tyler Brown has a chance to make the cut as a swing tackle is huge because, like you said, he was a part of that ULL offensive front that was crazy. Max Mitchell got drafted. Um, you know, one of their guys transferred to Florida. He might be a potential mainstay within the SEC as a premier lineman. So he was kind of, he was always in competition with those guys. And when he did play, he played particularly well. So it was just really about him staying healthy. And if he can, then the sky's the limit for him. But Depth at the tackle position for Jackson State, you saying that it, it doesn't exist. That's a problem because they're really deep at their skill positions. They're really deep at the D-line. Trench play wins and loses football games. It doesn't matter if you got the greatest quarterback in the world or the best trio of receivers. Eventually, not being able to hold up against defensive fronts week in and week out will catch up to you. And if their front line struggles, there's nothing behind them that can really make things better. And that's really my biggest concern with the JSU. They're super talented, but I do have concerns when it comes to their pass rush and their offensive line protection because we can you know, agree everybody in the SWAT got better. And everybody in the SWAT, I don't want to say everybody, but about 70 to 80% of the SWAT has a front line that can get to the quarterback with four. And if you can't hold up, that will be a long-term problem moving forward. Second team we want to talk about in the SWAT East is the Florida A&M Rattlers, FAMU. They return two outstanding players, FCS All-Americans, to say the least. Their highest returning PFF-graded offensive player is wide receiver slash return specialist Jamari Sharid. Yeah, he registered, rather, a 78.1 offensive greatest redshirt junior year, and he currently is an FCS punt return specialist preseason All-American. And last but not least, they return PFF-graded defensive player Reigning Buck Buchanan Award winner, edge rushing extraordinaire Isaiah Land. He registered an 86.4 defensive grade during his campaign a year ago. Big question, the icebreaker. Who's QB one out of FAMU between Rashawn McKay and Jeremy Musa? McKay last season had a 73.5 passing grade as a first-year full-time starter, and he did actually come on strong with 12 touchdown passes and just three interceptions in his final three games, but he's clearly blew a grade B game manager. Is Jeremy Musa a talented enough quarterback to, to unseat McKay as QB1 opening day when they play UNC? Uh, I mean, it's going to be tough. I, as you know, it's always tough to unseat a starter because, you know, as much hate as McKay gets as for a game manager, you still have to look. I mean, the only game that, I mean, okay, outside of, you know, the money game they had last year against USF, the only game he lost was Jackson State, beat Southern. 
He beat he. I mean, he he went and beat Bethune Cookman for the first time in what nine years was that was what was what that streak was that he. I mean, he had he had him within one point beating Jackson State, even though he got benched late in that game. I mean, really and truly, outside of the playoff game against the Southeastern Louisiana team, which most people didn't give them a, a great shot at upsetting on the road in the playoffs. I mean, he did what he. I mean, he did what he was supposed to do. He had a decent completion percentage. Did turn the ball over, and they had Bishop Bonnet, Terrell Jennings, and Jalen McLeod at the running back spot, and then he was able to throw underneath and let X Man and those and Jamari Sharid and those wide receivers go make plays for him. So, it, the problem with Musa, from what I've been hearing, is is that the arm talent is there in terms of arm strength. I mean, the, the dude can sling it, but the problem is consistency and accuracy and turning the ball over. He's one of those guys that you're going to have to. Are you going to be okay with? eight, nine picks, maybe 10 picks, or are him putting you in bad positions because he took a chance to try to squeeze the ball into a really tight spot. He's going to take more risks than McKay, and the thing that I'm worried about is that Willie Simmons and that staff are very comfortable with McKay. He's been in the system, and I I don't know if they're going to take the risk of putting Musa in. I, I think Musa has the higher upside, but also has the lower floor than McKay. McKay's kind of that, you know, middle of the middle ground decision there for the quarterback spot. I still think McKay gets the first snaps uh week one against UNC, but I won't be surprised if we see both quarterbacks week week zero against UNC. And then that that game and the practices leading up will kind of determine who's the main starter going into the Jackson State game week one. Yeah, man, you hit it on the nail. Simmons relationship with McKay kind of gives me the relationship Shanahan has with Garoppolo, which is why Trey Lance didn't play his rookie year. Um, when you have that connection with a guy that knows your system, um, it's going to literally, when you present him a game plan, he's going to read it tooth and nail and execute it to the best of his ability, and he doesn't turn the ball over. That's hard to just let go. And I know Simmons has a pretty solid working relationship with McKay, and everything you said about Musa is, is true. He's got the arm, but... The turnovers are a problem, and the consistency isn't there, which is usually a case with a lot of young quarterbacks with strong arms. It would make sense for FAMU to roll with the guy that did lead him on an eight-game winning streak and into the FCS playoffs. And like I stated before, McKay did come on strong in the year, and I can even make a case against Southeastern Louisiana. He did okay. The issue was they put the game in his hands too much, which allowed him to eventually showcase his cap ceiling. And his cap ceiling is... He's a guy you can lean on to throw the ball maybe 20 to 25 times a game. But if you got to play catch-up, say your prayers. And um, FAMU's got a veteran defense. Um, they've got a ton of skill position players coming back from a year ago. It would make sense for them to rock with the QB1 and McKay, a guy that kind of got them where they needed to go last year to keep the momentum train going. Uh, second question, how good can this FAMU defense be in 2022? Two names I want to really talk about. B.J. Bowler, he was drawing preseason draft buzz. He's a swag first-team all-conference guy just coming to the year. A year ago, he was the team's second-best defensive player and had a coverage grade of 83.0 and 82.3, respectively. Isaiah Land had an 89.0 pass rushing grade that cleared his second-highest teammate, Gentle Hunt, by 11 points. But even Hunt factors in the mix, possessing the team's fifth-highest defensive grade a year ago at 81.3. Blue, we know coming in, their safety and linebacker situations are still mysteries, but how good can their defense be with the stars they do have at some very important skill positions? 
Um, I don't know if the linebacker spot's really a mystery. I think I, I think Isaiah Majors really established himself as the guy there at middle linebacker. The um, he was at Indy Community College last chance to you, and he's a guy that Indy who he has like four four speed man. He can play linebacker. I mean they they played him at safety. They played him at Mike linebacker. They brought him down to edge. They put him in the slot like. The versatility he brings is something they were really lacking at the at the linebacker spot last year. But on the defensive line, I think they'll be fine. At defensive tackle, they I think they're deep enough for someone to really establish themselves next to Gentle Hunt. The one question I do have, though, is can somebody emerge across from Isaiah Land? Because if they don't, because, you know, you had Gentle Hunt and Savion open up a lot of room for Isaiah Land to get loose last season – if no one emerges that is going to draw the offense's attention away from Land, and he starts getting double, triple teamed, chipped by the running back, is I, I worry about FAMU's overall pass rush because when you watch him against that Southeastern Louisiana game, and he could not get off a block. They absolutely neutralized him, and luckily they had Savion and Gentle Hunt to go make plays. And so that's the question mark is who's going to emerge as another playmaker on that on, in that front four or three or whatever they want to run. But Bowler is, is legit, man. I, in my opinion, he's the best corner in the SWAC right now. And I think he's proven that. And I, I, I know there's a lot of hype around some other guys. But in terms of on-the-field on the performance, B.J. Bowler has been the best corner in the SWAC over, over the past year. And then at safety, man, that, that Jordan Moore steps in. I really, really like his game. And also, they have a transfer from Iowa State. I believe it's Kamani King. And I've heard that he looks every bit the part early in camp. And so it's always tough to replace someone like a Marquise Bell, even like an Antoine Collier, who was the MVP of the first ever Legacy Bowl. Um, I, I think the defense is going to be just fine, man. If FAMU goes on to win the SWAC, in my opinion, is going to have to be because the defense carried them. The defense is going to have to play out of their mind until the offense can kind of catch up because they have some holes on the offensive line that they have to fill. You're breaking in, you know, Terrell Jennings is running back one and that wide receiving core and whoever ends up being the starting quarterback kind of has to get things rolling for an offense that started really slow last season. So I think overall the defense is going to have to carry this team, but I think the defense has a chance if, if two, if one or two guys develop on the defensive line next to hunt and land to be one of the best defenses in the country again. Yeah, man, they got impact players everywhere defensively. Um, a game changer on the edge. Got some underrated guys in the middle. Um, BJ Bowler, like you said, he's an NFL talent. Um, obviously, my biggest concern is with their defense, like you stated. Isaiah Land, did he add stuff to his bag? I mean, did he add, obviously, you know, the weight thing. Obviously, long term, he's got to add more pounds. And I'm pretty sure he did coming into this year. But he's a speed guy that I think needs to incorporate more counter moves and whatnot to counteract doubles to counteract bigger and stronger tackles on the edge. But you also stated something just as important. That extra presence on the outside will make his job a lot easier. And who is that guy? We don't really know right now. Maybe they can manifest in the early months of September. But, you know, FAMU's defense, like you stated, it's going to be the calling card for this team throughout the year and will be a huge reason why they win the SWAC if they come out of the swackies. Um, the last one is for the Rattlers. How underrated is the receiving core duo of Sharid and Smith? I mean, Sharid gets his reputation as the team's excellent return man, but he had the team's highest receiving grade last year on 85 targets at 77.9. We know that wide receiver one is Xavier Smith, led the team in targets with 106, catches with 63, receiving yards with 708 a year ago. 
They're two undersized guys, Blue, on the outside that play the boundary a lot. How important will they be to this FAMU offense this season as upperclassmen? Um, I mean, they're going to be very important because I think whoever's the starting quarterback is going to have to really rely on them to make some plays. But I think they get overlooked due to the perception of McKay and the passing offense because we don't look at them as a dominant passing offense. The wide receivers kind of suffer from that. But when you look at the film, when you look at the stats, when you look at the analytics, Xavier Smith is one of the best wide receivers in the country, and Jamar and, and Sharid as well is really going to make a name for himself. I think Sharid came on late in the season last year and really impressed me, and I think you could make an argument that at one point it was him and Malachi Wadman and Abdul at, at the top of the swag in terms of production last year. So I, I think the wide receiving core is going to be very important. I think that those guys are going to have big years, and if – and I think if you're we're sitting in here in December on on this show or wherever, and you're looking at McKay or Musa having a big year, FAMU winning the swag, I, I got to imagine that Sharid and and the X Man are going to be huge reasons why this offense took off. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, they're underrated, um, but you know X Man is a huge part of their passing game. Um, Sharid is a speedster that can do it all in special teams and out wide as a weapon. Like you said, their production is very reliant on the productivity of McKay, the productivity of Musa. If that quarterback consistency is there, like we saw later on in the year against Alabama A&M and Bethune-Cookman, they're a very underrated offense. But it really just comes down to how consistent can the QB1 play be for the FAMU Rattlers in 2022. Up next in the SWAC East, it is Alabama A&M University. The highest returning PFF graded offensive player is Abdul Fatai Ibrahim, who registered an 86.2 offensive grade a season ago as a wideout. And the highest returning defensive player is Jamarion Green. He registered a 71.4 defensive grade a year ago on 437 snaps, the third most on the team. Blue, the big question when we talk about the AM Bulldogs, is Quincy Casey ready to fill a kill glasses QB1 shoes? Last time we saw Casey play, it was on 114 total snaps during JSU's 2020 spring season. And he registered the highest offensive grade on that team at 84.1. He possessed a 81.9 passing grade and a 4-0 to zero touchdown interception ratio during that time span as well. We can agree the natural arm talent is there and he does have mobility, something that Akil really didn't have, which showcased itself against teams with very active front lines. How successful can QC be in Dwayne Taylor's spread offense? Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be fairly successful. I think it's his job to lose from, you know, me talking to some of the coaches that I know on the staff. Uh, the biggest thing is just trying to make sure he's as consistent as possible. I think that's the number one thing I've heard out of camp is that they want the quarterbacks to be more consistent. You know, they haven't named the starter, but right now QC has the inside track is how it was kind of put to me. I think he's going to be just fine, man. I think, like you said, the arm talent, the athleticism, it's going to look a little bit different than what you have with the kill glass. And it's always hard to follow a legend like that, um, taking over a spot like a quarterback spot. But if Alabama A&M and SWAC fans compare Quincy Casey to Quincy Casey's expectations, I think he's going to be just fine. So I want, I don't know if he's going to live up to the Akil glass offensive, multiple time offensive player of the year, FCS all American, Walter Payton Award finalist, but I think QC can have Alabama A&M with a big rebound this year, and I think when you look at Abdul and and um, 
was a juice uh, at the wide receiver spot, man. They, they got plenty of talent that he can use, and they brought in an entirely new offensive line. And if it can just be an average offensive line, and on top of that, you also got to remember, I mean, they got a first, they probably arguably had the best running back in the SWAC as well, and um, Gary Quarles as well. So I think overall, Quincy Casey has as much support as you could possibly give a new starter. I think he's going to be just fine if he comes away with the job. And if I had to put money on it, I think QC takes the week one snaps against UAB. Yeah, man, I, I believe in QC. Um, what I saw during the spring season at Jackson State, the talent is there. Um, and for him to be at Alabama A&M, sitting behind a kill, learning the playbook, um, Dwayne Taylor still being in the fold as offensive coordinator, I think that allowed him to get the mental reps, um, understand the nuance of the playbook, and get ready for an experience like this. Uh, it just really comes down to big thing for him, consistency. Um, with a lot of these guys with the strong arm and the mobility, at times they go all in on their talent to a maximum point that kind of constricts their ability to manage the game in a certain consistent way. But he's got the weapons. He's got the natural talent. And you just said he brought in an improved offensive line. I think he will be the face of a bounce back year and could be a dark horse, dark horse rather, as a swag offensive player of the year candidate. Uh, second one, will this be Abdul's breakout season? I, I know it's crazy to say um, because he did lead the team in targets last year with 103. But Abdul was second on the team in receptions with 68 and touchdown grounds with eight, touchdown grabs rather with eight. A year ago, it was Abdul Hilaire. Hilaire was the guy when it came to the receptions and the touchdowns last season. And with Hilaire gone, he's in the FBS now. Ibrahim has a chance to be the clear wide receiver one in terms of having a supreme uptick in targets. How confident are you that he can have another All-American All-Conference season as the clear wide receiver one in Huntsville? Yeah, I don't know if you can call it a breakout, man. I mean, the dude just got voted an FCS All-American. Like, I mean, uh, as much as, yes, he might not have been number one on the team, just because, I mean, they were throwing the ball around the yard. I, he's been the most consistent wide receiver. I mean, he's been top two for, like, what, three, four years now? I mean, the dude is amazing in terms of route running and understanding how he can leverage coverages and cornerbacks to allow his routes to really pop and find ways to get open. And I think with a first-year starting quarterback in Quincy Casey, he's going to be looking for 85 every chance he gets. When things get tough for Quincy Casey in the pocket and he needs an escape, look for 85 in red and white. That is the, that is the game plan. And I think, in my opinion, I would be very, very surprised if – they might run the ball a lot, but I'd be very, very surprised if Abdul is not – the top wide receiver or in the top three in terms of receiving yards and catches this year in the SWAC. I, I love Abdul's game. In my opinion, he's the unquestioned best wide receiver in the SWAC. And I, I think this year is going to be a huge year for him, regardless of who goes off at quarterback. Yeah, man, Abdul, he reminds me of Cooper Cup. Uh, he can do it all. He can play inside. He can play outside. Might not be a burner, but he runs routes to perfection. He's got great hands and he's reliable. All elements that a young quarterback like QC will need as a first-year starter within this organization. And, um, yeah, look, the question I made, um, it wouldn't really, like you said, be a technical breakout season. He's been dominant at his position within this conference for three years. But clear one, he has a chance to put up career numbers. And when it's all said and done, I think you can hear Abdul in the conversation once the football season is over as a potential late round prospect because he's going to have the stats. He's going to have the production. 
And I think that's going to make people open their eyes and kind of peer in on what can he potentially bring to an NFL team moving forward. I'm a huge Abdul fan. Can't wait to see what he does in his final year of college eligibility. Question three, Blue, before we wrap it up on Alabama and um, who will emerge as their clear-cut defensive player of the year on their revamped defense? Last season, Jamarion Green had their highest returning defensive grade from a year ago, and we're pretty sure that he won't be the main reason that the Bulldogs turned their defense around. They brought in four former four-star recruiting gyms, Marquise Beeson at corner, DeGabriel Fulloid at linebacker. They all headline the new defensive blood that will grace Huntsville as FBS transfers. Which transfer do you feel will actually stick and be the key cog in a Bama A&M Bulldog defensive renaissance in 2022? <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny you ask this because um, I think the player who actually emerges hasn't even been announced that he's on campus yet. And so I can't give you I can't give you a name, wow. sadly, because I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I never want to take the opportunity for the commit to announce himself because I never want to take the opportunity away from them. But what, what I can give you is that he's an all conference player already in the FCS, a defensive tackle, and he's done it at a high level for a team that has been consistently in the playoffs. And wow. In my opinion, I think him coming in, he has the opportunity to be one of the best defensive tackles in the SWAC. He's proven, been a multi-year starter, and he's going to come in and really, really make an impact. What ha you know, he transferred not because he couldn't get playing time or he was hurt. There was some coaching stuff with the university. I probably give some people who know their FCS football a little bit of a hint on what school he's coming from. But I think another name to watch out for is Marquez Beeson as well. Um, transferred in a former four-star recruit at defensive back has the length that almost six foot 195 to really hang with some of the bigger wide receivers has the athleticism to make a play to make the plays that are needed to win a football game he was an under armor all-american and i, I think he's going to be a big one carlos becker too like i mentioned size is a big big thing a former four-star here six to 200 pounds man dude is just dude is different and I think the potential of those two guys combining in the secondary are going to be huge for Alabama A&M. An honorable mention is Davian Coleman, Stephen F. Austin transfer. Um, I, I, I really do like his game. I mean, he he played at Arizona and, and Stephen F. Austin, and uh, I believe he had like 40 tackles, two and a half for loss, a sack, uh, some pass breakups. He can, he can do it in coverage. He can be a run defender, and they didn't have that go-to middle linebacker last year. So I think those are all names you can look for, but stay tuned for the announcement, man. I know, I know the guy got on campus just a few days ago. He's probably – you know, making sure academics and everything line up, but stay tuned for a big announcement because they landed a monster on the interior of that defensive line. Blue with the inside scoop on Alabama's hidden gym, Alabama and them rather hidden gym on defense. Uh, Marquise Beeson is a guy I think has the potential to be special for the Bulldogs. Um, he had an unfortunate career at Illinois. He came in as a four-star recruit. He got injured a lot. Um, they try to transfer him, I think, potentially to play both sides in the aspect of he was a receiver at one point, then he was a corner, didn't work out there. He transferred to Alabama A&M. And if he can stay healthy, the natural physical tools and ball playing ability is there. And DeGabriel Floyd is another guy. Injuries kind of constricted him at Texas. But when you pop on his high school film, he can fly around. He's an athletic freak of nature that has a nose for the football. So 
Those two guys were injury riddled throughout their FBS careers. They have a chance to resurrect their careers within the FCS. If they can stay healthy, the sky's the limit for them to be impact players for the A&M Bulldogs defense. Uh, next up is Alabama State. They return. Their highest grade offensive player is junior wideout Jeremiah Hickson. He registered a 75.4 offensive grade a season ago. Their highest graded returning defensive player is junior cornerback Keenan Isaac, registered a 74.7 defensive grade a season ago. The big one, Blue, the big question, can Demetrius Davis beat Bama State's Devontae Kincaid in year one? The Auburn transfer was decorated, was a decorated high school quarterback from North Shore High, arguably never got a fair shot at UAA because of politics, and now he's at Bama State under former Morehouse offensive coordinator Harry Williams Jr., He'll be expected to run their run-based spread offense as a freshman. Can he be that golden ticket prospect that resurrects Bama State football in a year's time? Man, this is tough because, I mean, as an Auburn fan, yeah, I, I, would, <laughs> I would love to see him go out there and ball out because I've been very vocal since he committed to Auburn that he was the best quarterback on campus. Now, I've heard some mixed reviews out of camp. I already didn't have the best start through the air. I heard the athleticism is everything and more that you thought it was going to be. But the passing is coming along. I think they, they landed some wide receiving targets. I know they got a guy out of uh, North Carolina a and I'm blanking on his name right now. But they have some guys that have really emerged. And I think the running back spot with Merritt is going to really help them out that they have a guy who can go out there and get yards on the ground. The offensive line returns uh, – um, I believe a one or maybe two all conference selections. So I'm I'm confident with that. The defense, we already know what that's going to be. But D Davis is is legit in my opinion. If his passing and if his intermediate to short game can progress, like his deep ball and athleticism, man, the Swack is in trouble because that that kid is electric. And I like this confidence in Swack Media Day. And I think the fact that Eddie Robinson Jr. brought him to Swack Media Day said a lot about the quarterback battle and what he thought of him as a leader of this team. And I, I got all faith in D Davis, man. Count me a believer. Yeah. Count me a believer too. Um, he was a legend in high school. And I think the thing that pops up the film, he's an athlete. Um, he's got a tremendous deep ball. Obviously the short and intermediate areas need to be worked on, but in a potential offensive system that they're going to run, that's going to be probably very RPO centric. His legs is another dimension. And when he and Mary can get that run game going as a tag team, that brings the linebackers up. Now it opens up downfield shots down the field. So obviously at the collegiate level, you want to be as a quarterback consistent in two areas of your passing game because the three big ones are short, intermediate, deep. He's consistent at one. You hope gradually throughout the year he can hone in on his short and intermediate. If he can, I mean, come on, we can be real here. He's the best quarterback that Bama State has had in a while. He automatically makes them a factor in the swag because the, the skinny on Alabama State last year was physical team, hard-nosed team, their discipline. They just don't have the firepower. And now they potentially can have that with D. Davis as QB1. Can't wait to see what happens when they open their season one, season up rather, in week zero next week. Um, question two is Urshad Davis. The most underrated defensive player in the SWAC. Yes, he was the first team all SWAC. I'll interrupt you already. Yes, he might be <laughs> he the most. Is. He might be one of the most underrated players in FCS football. Man, that dude. Uh, listen, I'm an offensive lineman at heart. He might be one of my favorite players to watch in the entire country. I love. I love his game. 
that dude is different, man. He does everything. He can be your deep safety. He can get down the slot and cover. He can play middle linebacker. Hell, I put him a defensive tackle, and I, I I got faith that he can go out there and ball out. I love everything about his game. I love his mentality, and he remind. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out there. I don't think he is this player. I think the way he plays and the mindset is like this player. He reminds me of Ed Reed, man. Just in terms of how he he's going to go out there and he's looking to make a play and he's looking to hurt you when he when he finds you with the football and uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you I get excited for Earshot Davis he is one of my favorite players in in the entire FCS man and he put some respect on my guy Earshot's name right now man he's a dog um, and I found out recently Carlson Davis that's that's his brother so hey just runs in the family I guess man they're both dogs um he's versatile man I mean two hundred snaps in the box. And at free safety, 100 snaps in the slot as well. He's just got a nose for a football. He's a little undersized, but he's a gamer. And he's a tone setter. And I thought, really, he put a lot of guys on the map during the spring season. And then he replicated that in a down year for the Hornets in the fall. And he is, I agree, he's the most underrated defensive back, not just in this conference, but in the FCS. And I understand why, because he doesn't have the measurables. And he plays for Alabama State. Not really a power in the swag, but he's a gamer. And if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to be a very, very noticeable player on Sundays, to say the least. Um, last question for the Hornets. How likely is it, Blue, that they can start the season 4-1 and one before homecoming? I mean, they open the season with a very topsy-turvy neutral site, Miak swag kickoff game against underrated Howard that possesses nine first and second team preseason Miak all-conference players. After that, these are their next slate of games, three consecutive, rather. They got Miles College at home. They're at UCLA. They're not going to win that. Prairie View at home and then at Texas Southern. How likely is it that Davis jails with the team at QB1, coincides with Bama's tough and talented defense, and they get off to a 4-1 start before the ultimate litmus test during homecoming against Jackson State University? Uh, oh, man, I'll have to put a percentage on it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think here. Uh, <laughs> you know... Man, this is tough. I I think there is a very I would say seventy five percent, and I think if you gave me like a three and two, potentially because I think that Texas Southern game could be tough. I would say a hundred percent. I think they're better than PV. They're going to beat Miles. Yeah. I hope. Please tell me they beat Miles. But that <laughs> Howard game is sneaky, though. I think Howard's a team that. I don't really know right now where I'm going to put them. I think they have a lot of talent returning, and I like you know Larry Howard's message when I spoke with him at MEAC Media Day, and they have one of the best defensive ends. That I, I, you want to, talk, want to talk about underrated players, man. Broken birth, the defensive end spot, defensive tackle spot for Howard is completely overlooked. Um, I would say uh, I, I was I would give I would put it 75, man. I think. They can beat Howard uh, if D, like you said, if D Davis gels. I don't think four and ones out of the realm of possibility. That if D Davis gels and you get Andrew Body versus D Davis, man, sign me up for that. I might have to switch up my entire FCS game day schedule and go see that game if, if that's if that's what we're doing. Because I mean, you're looking at two of the best Texas high school recruits in the history of Texas football, man. I mean, like people forget D Davis. Has is the wing, winningest quarterback in Texas high school football history where he broke Kyler Murray's record. He's like 48 and two 
as a starter, which is ridiculous when you look at the career he had at North Shore. So I think it's very possible. I'll, I'll give you 75% right now because I think that Texas Southern game is a tough one and that Howard game is a, is a sneaky one, a sleeper game for them. Yeah, Howard and Texas Southern are the coin flips. We're going to you know dive into TSU a little bit later during this segment. But Howard, man, they're a talented team. Last year was a weird year for them in the context of they just couldn't finish games. They get off to these starts, and then they just really wouldn't be able to complete them. It seemed like at times they're a little overmatched. They did beat Sacred Heart, who was in the playoffs. So you don't really know what type of Howard team you're going to get week one. But I look, like I said in the question, if D. Davis can jail, I think they're going to be 4-1. I mean, they're not going to be UCLA. But my, my concern with Texas Southern is a few things. Number one, Body does have to take that next step as a passer. The talent is there when it comes to him being the ultimate dual threat. But I, what I saw from him against Alabama State at times, against Grambling last year, when they have these fronts that can kind of contain him and make him a pocket passer, he just isn't the most consistent. So, But he, if, you know, during the offseason he took that next step, then battle of the dual threat quarterbacks could go to TSU. But, you know, I think Bama State – is going to probably be 4-1 and one, heading in the hole, coming against Jackson State, and, and then we'll just see. I mean, that Jackson State game is ultimately going to decide how for real they are. Um, if They'll let us know early if they're a contender or a pretender, kind of like that Alabama A&M game was last year. Hopefully it doesn't go that way for this Alabama State Hornets against JSU, but we'll see. Um, up next, Bethune-Cookman, highest grade of returning offensive player is... The legendary Kamari Everett, he he registered an 89.4 offensive grade a season ago. The highest returning defensive player is Judas McKenzie. He registered a 75.0 defensive grade a season ago. Question one, Blue. This is what all the BCU um, faithful want to know. Will there be quarterback stability at BCU? Last year, Shannon Patrick and Devin Black each played nine games for the Wildcats and both put up several moments of subpar play. This year... They have a new different platoon squad, Jalen Jones and ECU transfer Walter Simmons. That's in their QB room. How confident are you that these two are at least a step in the positive direction for BCU's passing game than last year's group? A lot. I mean, listen, it's a giant leap. And uh, I think Jones is probably going to be the guy this year just because uh, I don't think he would have transferred with only, I think he only has a year of eligibility left. I don't think he takes that chance transferring to sit on the bench. But let me tell you this. I've watched some film. I've talked to some people. Walter Simmons is not a joke. I mean, when I look at him and look at his arm strength, look at his accuracy, what he can bring athletically, and the kid can fly. Um, I think Walter Simmons has a chance, man. If he gets a starting job, let's just say he starts next year. Let's say Jalen Jones takes it this year. When he gets his chance, I can see him being a top two, three quarterback in the swag. That's the potential I think you're going to get with a Walter Simmons. But either way, I think both of these guys are a huge upgrade over Shannon Patrick. And, and I'm blanking on the other guy's name who who went out there and played last year. But uh, I think overall the quarterback play should take a step forward regardless just because you add in that athleticism of both Simmons and Jones, that they, what they can do with their legs if things ultimately break down in the pocket. Yeah, if you could combine Jalen's talent with Walter's talent, Man, what a quarterback that would be for BCU. But they are better than Patrick and Black last year. And countless times with BCU, they just weren't able to compete in games long term because their quarterback was a walking 
person of subparts. Like he just was limited. And so it was a shame that, you know, Kamari ever couldn't be even more dominant last year because he was getting thrown. Um, I think off script says T ball pictures. <laughs> so it was a struggle for that for that program last year. I think Jones and Simmons are steps in the right direction. And that leads me to my second question. Is this the year Kamari Everett solidifies a day two grade as an NFL prospect? I mean, he's labeled as a second team FCS All-American by several professional sites. He had a 91.7 receiving grade despite possessing the worst quarterback room in the SWAC a year ago. How much would a 1,000 to 1,100 yard receiving season this year move his draft stock to around two to three selection range? He was a first team FCS All-American in our publication. He was a cover athlete okay. for our All-American article. Listen, I said this on our NFL Draft Prospects show, and I'll say it again, and I want everyone to listen. You can clip this, whatever. Kamari Everett is the best tight end in the in the entire country. FBS, FCS, D2, D3, NI, NI, a, NI whatever it's called. I, I, high school, JUCO, it doesn't matter. It's Kamari Everett. And when I look at his game, man, he reminds me of just this combination of, of Kyle Pitts and Darren Waller, man, where it doesn't – there's – I dare you to put a linebacker on him. He is going to absolutely route up and embarrass any linebacker you put one-on-one against him. And a DB, good luck, because all he's going to do is go up there and you're not going to be able to catch anything because he's 6'6", 260, and is going to embarrass you in, in, in air. And he's not a he's not a blocking first tight end, but he has the size to be formidable when, it's, when he has to pass block or run block or whatever. So... I think Kamari Everett's the best tight end in college football. In my opinion, if you put if you take the Bethune Cookman label off of him and put any other college in the country, that dude's a first round pick. I think he has and I I, I don't I don't want to, you know, go too far here, but in my opinion, I think you realist you realistically can look at him and say he has top twenty potential in, in terms of his overall ceiling. And I think him showing what he could do against uh you know against some good defenses i mean the dude has six catches and two touchdowns against famu where they were supposed to be equipped to stop a tight end with all the safeties and, and good players they had in the secondary they couldn't hold him and then he, he don't even have a good qb you mentioned that i mean he's out there doing it with guys like me and you throwing to him and and so what happens when you give him a real like if you put him on jackson state man just you know realistically shador sanders and kamari everett on the same team is there any question in your mind that kamari everett doesn't go for 1500 yards and at least 15 touchdowns he's doing it for sure i, I mean listen I, I this this guy is legit i had him on my show his mindset's there the the guy is just on a whole nother level and kamari everett for me is my top fcs draft prospect in the country right now yeah man um i'm gonna even go a step farther if he gets 1100 yards and double digit touchdowns it's over he's going first round um tight ends especially in the league now Kyle Pitts is the Darren Wallers, the Travis Kelseys. Teams want that. <laughs> they want that. They need that in their offensive system because it provides another dimension for the passing game overall professionally because now you got a guy that can match up with linebackers, match up with safeties, kill them. And then if you put a corner of them who does have the cover skills, not everybody's going to have that prototype that K.A. has. And he's got a better quarterback room now. He's more locked in. But Thune Cookman as – an institution football-wise this year, they're invested, man. And I think all Kamari has to do is continue playing how he plays. He puts up these numbers, gets first team all, you know, all American at the tight end position. 
he's going to be a lock to go number to go round one in in the draft. And I know last year it was um, revolutionary to see several HBCU prospects get drafted. Four of them. This one's going to be even bigger, man. He's going to go first round, and it it's crazy because we don't look at the swag as being a a conference that has all world tight in play, but he's an all world talent, and the sky's the limit for that kid, man. I, I can't wait to see him succeed. Um, last question for the Wildcats. Is the Amari Hill Robinson hype real? Um, he saw a substantial uptick in his defensive grade this past year from 64.3 to 72.4. He had a run defense grade of 71.0 and a tackle grade of 81.1. I think he actually had 104 tackles, which kind of led to swag. And if it didn't lead to swag, it at least led to swag at defensive backs. Coverage grade improved from 63.2 to 72.6. Um, and he's been he was a first team all swag selection last year. This year, he's a preseason HBCU All-American, preseason first-team All-SWAT candidate. How genuine has his rise been as a player, and do you feel like, Blue, he can duplicate the success in his senior season? Absolutely. I mean, uh, he, he was first-team for me as well um, in our All-SWAT rankings this, this preseason. Uh, listen, I, I think when you have the conversation of the best you know DBs out there, I mean, or, or the best defensive players in, in the SWAT, man, I mean, you got to put them in that conversation, right? I mean, really yeah. and truly. I mean, in terms of production, and everything like that. So, uh, I, I think the over. I, I think the whole defense man is being overlooked. To be honest with you, I mean, when you look at when you look at this program and, and what's going on, I think there's just a lot of people who are getting caught up in other players, other other units, other teams, and they got a lot of talent, man. I I, I got some questions, you know, for for some of the guys that they lost, but you know, overall, I, th- I think when you look at the, what who they brought in in the recruiting class out of the transfer portal, man, I, I think the whole defense is going to be good. But, yeah, I, I think he, he could be special. And if he replicates the success that he had last season, man, I, I really and truly, man, I think you're looking at a guy who could be a legit NFL draft prospect. I agree as well, man. I can't wait to really see him play. Um, didn't really get to see him play a lot last year. But, you know, the talent is there. And I do going to coincide with what you're saying. I think everybody – Saw the struggles of BCU last season, and I do think they're overrating in the context of they're going to replicate that and be very bad. I think they got a better quarterback room. Um, their coach has came out and said, look, they didn't have um, the spring last year to kind of help them prepare to come into fall season. They've had that. Everybody's locked in. Everybody's invested. You're going to see a bounce back BCU season. I don't think they're competing for the SWAC championship or the SWAC East. But they're going to be a very watchable product, and they're going to catch some team slipping this year for sure. Um, last but not least in the SWAC East, before he translates into the SWAC West, the Mississippi Valley State Devils. Delta Devils, rather. Highest returning graded offensive player is a phenomenal running back, Caleb Johnson. He registered a 78.9 offensive grade a year ago. Their highest returning graded defensive player a season ago is Jalen Bell, who had an 82.8 defensive grade on 503 total snaps a season ago. Um, the first question, how much of a leap forward, Blue, do you feel Coach Dancy's young defense can take this season? Because they were very young last year, had a lot of underclassmen, but they all showed promise against very veteran SWAT teams. Jalen Bell was the team's highest-graded defensive player as a sophomore, and he's a preseason second-team all-SWAC selection. Former Austin P transfer Elijah Rawlings, Led the team in, well, he was actually the team's second best run defender with an 86.7 run defense grade on just 132 snaps, also as a sophomore. 
And they have a leading sack man and edge rusher Ronnie Thomas. Top five defensive grade on the team in 2021 at 77.5. While playing the eighth most snaps on the team, he was also the team's sack leader. How confident are you that the team's front seven will carry that experience from this year and put it all together? Well, from last year, rather, and put it all together this season. I mean, I think it goes back to the the type of team and the culture that Dancy's built there. And I, I don't I don't know if they're going to have, you know, replacing a guy like Jerry Gardner and some of those guys are going to be really, really tough because you're looking at guys who have been multi-year starters and contributors and all swag selections throughout their career. But overall, just in terms of player development, man, you got to give that staff some credit because they don't, they're not getting the level of recruits at a Jackson state that a fam, you or Southern's getting, but they're developing guys who have been overlooked. They can, they can come into their program. They fit their scheme. They fit their culture and they turn them into really, really good players. You look at a Caleb Johnson, you look at a Jerry Garner from last year, you look at a Jeremiah Kane who went to the HBC HPC Legacy Bowl and really balled out. So overall, I'm not worried about Valley. I think Caleb Brunson at in, in the back end too is going to be someone you really want to watch. The it for Valley, it all comes down to quarterback play. Can Jamari Jones uh go out there and, and be a playmaker, man? Because I think if Valley has a quarterback, you look back at last season, there's a handful of games that you're looking at like, ooh, Valley probably pulls the upset. Jackson State, including his one, where if they got a quarterback that can keep that can I mean, if they get like five or six more first downs and, and have a guy who can hang on to the ball, man, that you're looking at that game like, well, dang, well, dang. I mean, they, they might come away with that one. And so I, I talked to Dancy at Swap Media Day, and man, he was not very happy that they were voted last. I'll say that. And he ended my interview with him saying, I guarantee we won't finish last in this division. And I think added that with the motivation and some of the players they have coming back, man. And I think Caleb Johnson is going to be an absolute stud at the running back spot. I think even the wide receiver, Ja'Cory Rankin doesn't get the respect that he deserves in terms of an overall playmaker outside I think Valley is going to be just fine, man. They have one of Rodney Luckett is one of my favorite offensive linemen in in, in terms of, uh, you know, what he can do at, at the center guard spot. So, man, listen, Valley is a team that I think is going to be one that you're going to have to watch. And I will not I will not be surprised in the slightest if they pull two, three upsets that no one saw come in this year. I agree as well. On that one with Valley, um, you kind of somewhat dabbled into my, my last two questions on them, but we're going to dive a little deeper so I can understand the nuance. What I've read and what I've seen, now you could tell me if I'm wrong, Blue, because I know you got the plug with the SWAT teams. Um, it looks like Jelani Eason is still there. It might be QB1. Um, do you have any confirmation on that? And if no. you do, carefully to say so. I think he's st- I think he's still there, but I've heard that the JUCO transfers kind of separated himself. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so cool. So with Jamari Jones, um, you know, off script's not a big fan, but what I saw from him in college, it. I mean, look, it's better than Jelani's. <laughs> so I mean, that's that's a start. Um, how much do you feel he can move the needle for this team? Because um, like you stated, I do think the main reason why people put them last is concerns at quarterback. And they're a very tough-nosed, hard-fought team. They're disciplined. They're going to play hard. And they got the home field advantage with their field. But they had a lot of games blue last year where they just 
They couldn't finish the deal because they didn't have a competent quarterback under center. Does Jones move the needle for them this season? I think he's a he's an upgrade, but I think he's still raw in terms of being an overall quarterback. And it was it, and let's be honest. I mean, let's keep it a hundred here. I mean, it was a weak year for JUCO quarterbacks. For the it number was. one, <laughs> for the number one JUCO quarterback to to barely be a top one hundred JUCO player, man, that, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's, that is really really tough. And but I think he has potential. His athleticism sticks out. His arm strength at times sticks out. But his accuracy is still a concern. If he he's he's in a he's in a question mark category for me. But I still think. Due to his upside and him still being a guy who has a lot of developing to do, getting into that Valley quarterback room and going through camp, building some chemistry, I still think he can be serviceable. I don't expect him to be a top quarterback in the SWAC, though, but I think he's going to be a, an upgrade over what they had last year. And to be honest, for the Delta Devils, serviceable makes them probably a winning team. They're going to have a winning record potentially. If he could be serviceable, that leads to my last question. Um, you talked about how Coach Dancy was infuriated. Guys had them projected to finish last in the East. He vowed they weren't going to do that. I'm going to go even a step farther with this question. Is there a chance Valley finishes in the top four of the SWAC East? I mean, they've got one of the better running backs in SWAC football in Caleb Johnson, um, one of the rising young coaches in the game with Vincent Dancy, a front seven that was very green but super talented coming back. And, you know, we just talked about Jamari Jones, how he's an upgrade over Jelani. Um, schedule's kind of tough, but when it's all said and done, can you see them when, when the season's over, they're a top four team in the Swag East? Possibly. I think what would have to happen really and truly is you're going to have to hope, you're going to have to hope as a Bethune-Cookman, I mean, I'm not a Bethune-Cookman fan, as a Valley fan, you're going to have to hope Alabama State just doesn't click. D. Davis is not who they, who, who we thought he was. That defense takes a step back. Everything just kind of falls apart for them. And you have to hope that Bethune-Cookman doesn't take a step forward either. And I think, I mean, you can probably put them at the four spot. And then really and truly you're looking at the division like, man, if what if those transfers from Alabama A&M don't work out? Then, you know, you could potentially slot them up even more. But I think, in, I, I think it's possible. I would say you probably got about a uh, – mm. Probably a 45, 50% chance of that happening. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I do think what they have won an Alabama and um, and somewhat at Alabama State, uh, they got continuity. I mean, Alabama and them brought in basically a whole new team on both sides of the football. Alabama State's going to be bringing in a new quarterback. I mean, and we all know offensively, your quarterback is 60% of the game plan. So that's basically 60% of a new offense. So, you know, they have continuity and a culture going for them, but they are going to have to hope State, A&M, and Bethune takes lots. And that is asking for a lot, a lot. But we've seen crazier things happen in the SWAC last year, just based off of Valley's reputation, that no one had them probably winning more than a game. And they won four. They beat PV to end the year. PV was a SWAC championship finalist. So uh, there's a lot of untapped potential and it'll be in Mississippi, and can't wait to see how it turns out for the Delta Devils. Moving on to the SWAC West, and we're going to start with my favorite in the SWAC West, Southern University, highest graded returning offensive player is the halfback Kobe Dillon. Received a 75.5 offensive grade a season ago. He was phenomenal 
with the limited reps that he had. I mean, they, they were very limited. I think he had only like 85 carries. It was kind of weird here. Um, highest grade of returning defensive player is Edge Marlon Young. He received a 74.2 defensive grade a season ago. First question, Blue, is with the infusion of transfer standouts to their 2022 roster, how disruptive can SU's defensive unit be in the SWAC this year? They landed the best D lineman in the SWAC, arguably one of the best in the in the FCS. And Jason Dumas, he'll only open up more one-on-one opportunities for an All-American edge rusher than Jordan Lewis. Um, they also added um, NGCAA Division Three Defensive Player of the Year and J.C. on Greenhouse. He had 20 and a half sacks in JUCO last season, and they got cornerbacks Dimitri Marcel and Jordan Carter, Bowie State transfers who bring in the culture of Bowie State from D2. We know what Bowie State represents as three-time CIA Division II champs. How impactful can all these transplants be for a retooled Southern defense? Um, I mean, in my opinion, I, I personally think that um, this defense is going to be really, really good, man. I, in my opinion, right now, on paper, they're probably the second best defense in the SWAC behind Jackson State. I even jump in FAMU. When you add Jason Dumas, who, in my opinion, is the most dominant defensive player in the SWAC right now, just in terms of pure impact. I mean, when you watch what he did to that Jackson State game, he single-handedly was beaten double and triple teams by himself. And... You add him with a Buck Buchanan Award winner and Jordan Lewis, and you add him with the Junior College Defensive Player of the Year at the other defensive end spot, along with Cam Preston, who is an all-swag selection at the other defensive tackle spot. Man, you're looking at arguably one of the most talented defensive lines in the entire country at the FCS level. Well, linebacker spot's a big concern for me. They did lose Cunningham. Um, I believe he something happened. He wasn't able to make it to campus, if I'm not mistaken. So linebacker is a big question mark for me. But secondary, man, they have so many people that you could talk about. The Bowie State transfers are all legit. The kid from McNeese and Corian Harris is legit, was an all-conference player, former four-star, was one of the standouts for Kansas as a true freshman. Um, you know, even the Troy transfer uh, that, th- that they got from – this offseason as well is going to be a problem. So I think overall Southern's defense right now is second best in the SWAC. They probably had the best defensive line in the FCS potentially, man. That that D-line is going to be different. And if it all clicks together, this division is Southern's to lose, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, man. Dumas, Dumas is Aaron Donald. <laughs> like, like he, he is. I mean, he's an undersized interior D-lineman that creates havoc because he's strong as an ox. Great footwork. He's just a great adaptability between doubles and triple teams. You just talked about it. I'll confirm it. He he made Jackson State's offensive line look non-existent. It was like they weren't out there. And to bring that presence within your defensive front, that'll only make Jordan Lewis's job easier on the edge because no longer will you ever have to worry about double teams. <laughs> like he's gonna get several one-on-one opportunities to utilize his athleticism on the edge. And then they remade their secondary because I did feel like their secondary last year was an issue, completely remade it. You add some veteran guys and Marcel and Carter who have the experience. They've been around the culture of Bowie State. They're gamers. They're ballers. This defensive unit, you said second best. I think they're the best in the swag, man. I really do because they're complete everywhere. Um, obviously, the linebacking concern is is legit, but they got a front seven that I think can rush the pass or stop the run. They got veteran and talented experience on the back end. When it's all said and done, they're going to have the best defense in the swag. They're that complete. Um, second question, 
can Coach Dooley's run game magic bring out the best of Southern Stack backfield? Because last year, Kobe Dillon was the team's best rusher, graded-wise at PFF. Seven, he had a 76.7 rushing grade, but he only had 89 carries. He also accumulated the most yards on the team, 665, and top of the second-most rushing scores on the squad with four. But again, he had 89 carries, so that was a very weird offensive system that they had the year prior. He'll be heavily featured more than likely this year alongside the likes of redshirt senior Craig Nelson and Gerard Sims. How confident are you that Dooley will continue to have Southern as one of the top rushing teams in the conference? Uh, uh, I don't know, man, because Dooley likes to spread the ball out. Uh, you know, the way he described his offense to me at Sweat Media Day was basketball on grass. He wants to spread it out. He wants to get out there similar like he did with Jawan Pass. So, I think the running backs are going to be featured. They'll use the run game to set up the pass game, and what they'll do is probably use a lot of the running backs in the pass game, similar to what you saw with the PV running backs. Um, for me, I really like Kobe Dillon's game. I think he'll 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 be, in my opinion, one of the best running backs in the SWAC after this season. But if the quarterback spot doesn't develop like Dooley wants, I wouldn't be surprised if he leaned on Kobe Dillon to bail him out in some of those early games. But I think overall you're going to see the running backs might get more touches, but I think some of them are going to be used in the pass game more so than you saw in the old Southern offense. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. Um, with PV, he ran a, a basically a spread offense that ran out of the shotgun a lot. Um, and I think that will happen for the most part with Kobe Dillon. I just want Kobe to get more than 89 carries. I mean, he's a stud. He's a baller. And, you know, last year, Southern, their running game persistency wasn't persistent enough. And I I know Dooley's track record, he's going to incorporate the run to open up the passing options down the field. I mean, he did it with Jaden Stewart and Ladinian Books last year with PV. Um, But that leads me to question three. You just said he wants basketball on grass. I've heard him say, he doesn't want a game manager at quarterback. He wants a QB one that can go win the game. Can Bashawn McCray be that guy for Southern to make a title run in the Swag West? I mean, he's implored, like I just stated, he doesn't want a game manager. McCray probably isn't a game changer at QB, but the JUCO transfer has looked apart as a full-time starter at spring game and during spring practice. But do you feel, Blue, he can be impactful enough within Dooley's offense to help Southern be Swag West champs? Yeah, he's my pick. And and when Dooley said that, that was that, that was the interview I had with him at Swipe Media Day because I asked him what he was looking forward to QB, and he said, listen, I don't want a game manager. He said, I can do that from the sideline. He said, I want a guy who can go out there and win me the game. And in my opinion, looking at the spring game and what I've heard out of you know fall camp is that Bashan McCray is that guy. I think in terms of his arm talent, his understanding of the offense, his legs, and just – his overall demeanor, I, I like him better than any other quarterback they have on the roster. I know Noah Bowden came in and some of those other guys, but listen, I think it's Bashan McCray's job to lose, and I will be very, very shocked if he don't take those week one snaps. I agree as well. Um, that spring performance he had sold me. I was like, okay, like um, ran the offense, orchestrated at a consistent flow. The ball had zip. He was hitting guys in stride. He was making accurate throws. And this is just why I feel, and we're going to talk about it later, why Southern is legit, man. I mean, they have, they're a complete team in the swag. I think they got a quarterback that can make all the throws. They've got, they've always had the O-line. They've got the backs. I mean, obviously we got concerns about receiving a linebacker, but I think coaching will scheme 
weapons to their advantage offensively, and their front seven so dominant. That's going to make the linebackers' job a lot easier this year. But I'm a McCray fan. He's by far the best quarterback they've had um, in a while in Southern, and I think he's going to be impactful. And the sky's the limit with him on their offense this season. Um, the second team, Grambling State, Southern's rival, Grambling State University, highest grader returning offensive player is sophomore lineman Tyler Thomas. He had a 69.8 offensive grade in 2021. And their highest grader returning defensive player is the great Sundiata Anderson. He had an 83.3 defensive grade a year ago. Blue, obviously my most pressing question is, how would the influx of new recruits and transfers mesh under Hugh Jackson's coaching staff? Because... They had 36 new signees etched on the dotted line to commit to Grambling on signing day. That's the most Grambling's had ever. <laughs> and that says a lot because this is an historic HBCU football institution. The good news, um, I heard from you because you had the live stream kind of talking about um, SWAT teams. You said that Juco transfer Quaterius Hawkins is starting to separate himself as QB1. We've heard about the magicalness of Maurice Washington, the Nebraska transfer. We can expect him to lead the charge in the loaded backfield. And freshman Tyson Boudreaux and Ryan Peppins, they look like they'll be heavily featured within the offense. How do you see the offensive side of the ball working out for the Tigers under Hugh week one? I think it's going to run through Maurice Washington early. I heard from camp. I've heard, I, I've seen his film from high school and in, into his college uh, days at Nebraska, but he's explosive, man. The dude can do it all, man. He can be the pass catcher you want. He can do it between the tackles. He can get outside. He's, he is, ooh, ah, man, it's tough to say, but I think he's one of the most electric players in the swag already. He hasn't taken a snap yet. He has the ability to take, any play, any anything to the house, and so I think it's going to run through him early. They they are deep at running back. With um, they landed like three or four transfers, man. I, I can't name them all, but in my opinion, I think it's going to be a run first team early to let the quarterback kind of develop. Now Hawkins winning the quarterback jobs kind of it. it in my opinion, is it's kind of interesting because I thought everyone thought it was going to be Halloween. He didn't really turn out. Then everyone thought it was going to be the North Texas transfer. Apparently, he hasn't looked good. And and then all of a sudden, Chance Amy commits, and he took the lead early in camp. But now it looks like Hawkins is kind of the guy that's emerging, taking first team reps. Um, it, I still, I still really like Amy's game, man. You know, Hawkins is a guy that I think out of the four have the most question marks because we haven't really seen him do, you know, do it at this level, but. Overall, man, I think he was going to make the decision on whoever can run his offense the best. But Maurice Washington and Faison Wilson are two names that if you don't know, you're going to know by week two or three because they, by all accounts that I've heard, are legit and two of the best and most explosive players in the SWAC right now. Yeah, the, the clips I've seen of Maurice and Nebraska, the talent is there. And I, we can only expect that to be magnified on a higher level with GSU this season. Um, with Hawkins, you're right. I had to look him up because I heard you say the statement. And, you know, his his the tape I saw in Juco didn't look bad. And I think the biggest thing you said that speaks volumes, and this is pretty huge accent to say the least, he's going to want somebody that can come in and, and play his offense. He's kind of a control freak. And so he's going to need to rely or have confidence in the guy he's articulating the play calls towards. He's going to execute them. And what I did see with Hawkins is why he doesn't have 
a super huge arm and he's not an athlete, he can make the throws and he's not going to turn the ball. Over. And I do think that's something he's going to prioritize, especially for GSU's early season schedule, because I think they're trying to make as much of a statement as possible, not to the swag, but to themselves, because they have this huge influx of newness within their program that you don't want to really get off to a slow start and have guys question what culture are we truly building here. And at least the question, too, for you, Blue, will Grandma's defensive line set the early season tone for the program? Because last year, JSU lead on their talented defensive front early in the year as Shador was kind of figuring himself out as a first-time college starter. GSU has the best edge-rushing tandem in the SWAC, and Sudiata Anderson and Brian Powell both registered a combined 63 total pressures, pressures rather, and pass-rushing grades north of 82.0 a season ago, leaning on their presence in the trenches alongside the team's best run defender from a season ago and senior Wesley Green, 84.3 grade, creates at least three-fourths of a pretty veteran productive defensive front line. Can the G-Men's defensive unit, defensive line rather, have an early season impact against out-of-conference foes in the month of September? I mean, it all starts with Anderson, man. That dude is different. I think he's one of the best run run defensive linemen in the swag. Um, I'm really excited to see him play. And, you know, like you mentioned, uh, they're running a new defensive scheme that I think is really going to unlock their potential as a defensive line. Going to... I'm biased as a football guy. Four two fives are is my favorite base defense. I think running a four two five gives you the ability to load up in the box. You can bring down a, a nickel guy or a big safety to play that third linebacker in, in run situations. And in pass defense, in pass defense, you got you can have your five best DBs and you got an athletic linebacker out there and you have four down linemen to rush the passer. So I think it gives you a lot of versatility. And for me. Uh, Sunday out of Anderson being able to play that true edge is going to be a nightmare for offensive tackles. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's six six two sixty man with the athleticism of an Isaiah Land. Like he he is the he is what nightmares are made of for offensive tackles. Speaking as an offensive tackle, um, <laughs> so the one question I have though is who's going to develop inside? I think they need some defensive tackles to really step up be like a gentle hunt type player to Isaiah Lamb where they can take up some bodies inside and really bounce things out to Anderson and some of those linebackers. But I think the front seven is going to be good. But I think one thing you know, if you if you watch Slack football and everything, Grambling's defense is never the problem. I mean, ever. that They are known for their defense. And so with Anderson and some of the transfers they brought in, I think the defense could carry this team early. And Arkansas State is going to be an interesting t- test week, week one under Butch Jones. Yeah, man, I'm I'm high on Subiata. I think he can have a breakout year that by the time we are in the month of December, he's getting hardware. Um, He's got the measurables. He's had the production. And I think that's only going to continue to grow into something crazy good for GSU's defensive front, especially with the new 425 that they're walking out. Um, And last but not least with the Tigers, can they make it into swag play versus GSU 2-0 this year? All right, because before JSU, they have an FBS and an FCS out-of-conference schedule. Presents huge early season tests for the Hugh Jackson regime early in the year. Arkansas State is their first game. It's on the road. Now, Arkansas State is predicted to finish second to last in the Sun Belt West Division. And they only have two preseason all-conference players to their name, and they only won two games a year ago. And then week two, a neutral site game 
against Northwestern State in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Demon Deacons are expected to finish fifth in the Southland Conference preseason voting-wise. They do possess two first-team All-Southland Conference corners and Shamar Bartholomew and P.J. Harrington. However, all that being said, uh, Northwestern State did lose to Alcorn last year, so a SWAT team can potentially do it to them again. Um, which matchup do you feel presents a challenge for the Tigers out of those first two? And what's the likelihood they enter the vet week three to and up? Uh, not very likely. <laughs> Man, you know how hard it is to go on the road and beat an FBS team in the very first game with a brand new head coach and quarterback? I mean, they're probably going to be, they're probably going to have at least 12 new starters on that team. Uh, that's so, that's so tough to do, man. And we, we know the difficulties because of the depth and early season week one, man. If, if, if this is year three of you, oh, I give them a really good shot if that team's developing. But to go week one and beat Arkansas State on the road, I don't give them a great chance. They should beat Northwestern State, not a, that's a team that I think Grambling matches up really well with, and they're going to get a lot of questions answered. I think the I think one and one is very very possible, but I have a very hard time thinking they're going to upset Arkansas State as of right now. Yeah, um, Northwestern State uh, is for sure the one for them. Um, like I said last year, Alcorn didn't really play particularly well, and they beat the Demon Deacons. Um, and they do, like you said, match up with them the best with their front line. Arkansas State, I think I test wise, you see two and ten a year ago, you see, you know, media members that cover the Sun Belt religiously um vote these guys to finish next to last in their own division. So from my eye test perspective, it looks tantalizing. It looks like, yo, if Grambling could come in with a pretty sound game plan, they could get one. But you are stating the fact, and the fact is they're bringing in a brand new offense, a brand new offensive system under a brand new coach. It's going to be some growing pains to where they're probably going to lose that first game, but win the second. One and one's not bad, but if they go 0-2 heading into the vet, it's a problem because I don't know if they're going to be Jackson State on the road week three, and now he was 0-3 to start the year. There will be concerns, and I don't want that for you. I, I, don't, I don't. I feel like he's got a ta- he's got a talented team. It's just really going to come down to the image that they're trying to edge out. Like, And I think from what I'm seeing, they're going to be a physical team. They're going to run the football. They're going to play sound defense, and they're just going to operate from there. Um, up next, Alcorn State, highest offensive returning player is the senior wideout, C.J. Bowler. He's one of the more underrated weapons in the SWAT. 76.5 offensive grade a year ago. Highest returning defensive player. It's probably the best safety in the SWAT. And KJ Kinsler registered an 87.5 defensive grade in 2021, uh, by far one of the higher grades in the SWAC. Question one for you, Blue. How much of a statement game is week one versus Stephen F. Austin for KJ Kinsler's draft stock? Because he's regarded by many as the best safety in the SWAC. He's going to get a huge test against 10th rate SFA in Lorman week one. We know the Lumberjacks, they got Trey Self at quarterback. FCS All-American Xavier Gibson. Those guys are no joke. Gibson had a 91.3 receiving grade a year ago. Finished with over 1,300 yards, 14 scores, first-team All-American. Self had five games where he threw for over 300 yards last year, and he was 3-2 in those matchups. They're an up-tempo team. They push the tempo. They stretch you out. A lot's going to be on Kinsler's plate. Um, knowing the significance of these things, how big would a positive showing be 
for KJ Shraff stock if he plays well. Oh, man, it, I mean, it could mean the world. I mean, you're talking about going up against, in my opinion, the undisputed best wide receiver in, in FCS football and Xavier Gibson and one of the best passing offenses in, in the FCS. Um, for me, you're looking at a Stephen F. Olsen team that, in my opinion, is has, okay, this is very controversial in the FCS community. So, I mean, for your show, I know it's going to be a lot of HBC listeners, so they probably won't, you know, come after me for this, but... I think Stephen F. Austin has the potential to be a national cha- a national championship contending team and make a quarterfinal run. A lot of people are torn on that because they haven't done it. When you look at this team, they're that good. If Alcorn State could win this game, KJ Kinsler could have a big game. You're talking about outside of a Power Five upset, one of the biggest wins in recent memory, man, for this team. That's how good this this all this uh, Stephen F. Austin team could be. So. I'll be at that game. That's going to be one of the games that I cannot wait to see live. But, uh, you know, do they win? I don't know. We'll see. But I think it's a great opportunity to find out exactly where this Fred McNair Alcorn State team is sitting early in the season. Ultimately, this test for Alcorn. Um, Last year, um, while they didn't play Stephen F. Austin, they beat Northwestern State. And they really hung around with a South Alabama team that finished with, I think, a above 500 record. So Alcorn has no problem <laughs> playing with better competition on paper, like playing with. It's just all about executing in the end when you have matchups against David versus Goliath. Kinsler, man, is a phenomenal talent. I think if he's able to come in and show um, what he's all about and gets an elite passing offense in the FCS, it'll only elevate his draft stock. I know when we talk about the Braves, you know, a Coach McNair team is always well-coached. They might not be the most talented. They may not be the biggest, most physicalist team. Well, they're, they're physical. They may not be the biggest team, but they're going to play hard. They're going to be disciplined, and you're going to have to beat them. And so Stephen F. Austin um, is going to have to go in the Lorman and beat this team. Like, I don't think they're just going to lay down and, like, give it to them. But um, it does lead me to the second one. Can Coach McNair, as great as a coach he is, Easily by far a top three coach in the conference. Can he overcome the loss of Felix Harper? I mean, because Harper gave an overachieving Alcorn State team a fighting chance last year to compete for a Swag West title. All of their losses were by single digits outside of JSU, and they were in that JSU game until the final quarter. And Harper kept them in every matchup because he's a magician, man. I mean, his capability is legendary, clutch presence as a pocket and mobile passer. They've got LaTeX transfer Aaron Allen. In there, he's expected to potentially be QB1. He showed flashes in Rustin, but consistency was always an issue, which is why he transferred from the Bulldogs. And so, can McNair create some of that 2022 season match magic to have his team at least be a competitive factor and arguably a rebuilding year for the program? It's it's the same thing, like I said, with the kill glasses. So hard to replace the legend, man. Um, and so, for me... I think Allen is is going to be really good, man. I think the potential in the offense is going to be great. And I think when you look at Alcorn State with Nico Duffy at the running backs, they they have a really deep running back room behind Duffy as well. With C.J. Bowler at the wide receiver spot, they brought in so much size at the at the offensive line spot. I don't think Allen's going to have to go out there and do it all, if that makes sense. I think he's going to have time to grow into the position be comfortable with the offense, build up some chemistry early in the season. They got some tough matchups, but tough matchups 
really and truly help build that chemistry for new quarterbacks and teams. So I think Allen's going to do just fine, man. Like it's the same message I echoed with Alabama A&M compare Aaron Allen to Aaron Allen. Don't compare him to what Felix Harper, because they're two completely different QBs. But as we've seen with Fred McNair, man, he's able to, he's able to replace big time talent that he's lost over the years. And like I like to say, if there's any coach in the SWAC that I trust, it's Fred McNair, man. So I don't think you can overlook Alcorn going into the season. Yeah, man, Fred McNair, he, one of the great coaches at making lemonade with with, with apples. <laughs> like, he, he's, he can do it. Um, and, and the last question, can C.J. Bowler end this season as a first-team all-swag receiver? Because last year, he started to overtake LaCharge Pringle as wide receiver one in Lorman, and he produced a 76-point receiving grade in 2021 that featured career highs in yards and touchdowns. Now, he's the team's one. Like, there is no LaCharles. He's graduated. He's the guy. How likely is a breakout year for Bowler, and does it translate to winning success for the Braves? Uh, he was already a first-team swag pick for me. I, I think he's prov- proven it, and I think this year, like you said, it, with him getting a majority of the targets, I expect him to compete for the receiving title in the swag. If Aaron Allen can develop and they can get him the targets he 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 deserves, man, he can have a big year. I think in terms of his ability of body his his unique combination of body control route running and his ability to get up and go get the football high point in it in my opinion i i think he is completely overlooked right now just because of how deep the swack is at wide receivers but i think right now you could argue he's a top five wide receiver in the swack no question yeah top five indeed he's the most underrated wide out in the swack um and what he does present to the table unique blend of size ball control can high point and he's physical when he catches the football he can break tackles and get extra yards he's a he's a pretty underrated guy guy um he's one he's wide receiver one for the braves um if Allen and him are able to develop a, a instant connection early you're gonna look up and be like wow he's an all swag first team guy and he's got all swag first team wide receiver talent it's really just all about opportunity and how productive can he be within that all corn state offense and i do think that the potential for Bowler is incredible. And if he turns out a pretty good year, he's going to open some eyes for some scouts and potentially be a late-rounder undrafted prospect at the pro level. Up next is Texas Southern. Highest returning offensive graded player is running back Ladarius Owens. He had a 77.5 offensive grade on 292 total snaps. The highest returning defensive graded player is Isaiah Hamilton. He registered an 82.7 defensive grade on 679 cornerback snaps blue this is the big one question one is 2022 andrew body's leap year because he showed flashes last season as a freshman but he was pretty rough around the edges during his campaign his big time throw to turnover worthy play ratio was 16 to 14 and he did have a subpar 64.5 seasonal passing grade on the year but i just can't forget the games he had against southern uapb and alabama a&m where he just showed everybody the potential he has as a polished dual threat quarterback. Are you committed to say body is at least a second team all swag selection? A lock for 2022. I would say so just because I, I'm a, I'm an Andrew body believer, man. I, I think when you look at the work he's put in, I mean, he was working out with Shador and Cameron Ward and a lot of those top Texas quarterbacks this all season and talking to him this 
at SWAT Media Day in this offseason, I think he understands what he had to improve on. He spoke with me about his accuracy struggles and how he went to correct that. And I think when you look at the offensive line and what they're returning, I think Drake Sinners is one of the best offensive linemen in the SWAC, or if not the best right there with Mark Evans. The wide receiving core is a question, but they've returned all their leading rushers, led by Ladarius Owens at the running back spot. Man, Andrew Body has every chance to to build upon you know what he did last year. And I think with a full season, Man, I mean, you can make argument if man, if if Shador doesn't seal it up with a big year, if if Andrew Body puts it together, there there is a there is a major chance that um, Andrew Body could escape with that first team honor too. Man, I think he has the talent. Man, the talent's there. It's just about consistency with Body, and um, it's it's a promising thing to see that he recognized he had things to work on, and he was proactive in doing that in the off season. Um, Josh Allen changed the game for me when it came to quarterbacks because he came into the NFL, a very raw prospect, and he went out of his way to put in the work to be what he is now. And now I feel like every quarterback that has natural talent that may just not have the complete package yet can always work on their game and be that moving forward. It's something that people recognize and see in basketball as the inevitable truth, but we don't always feel that way about quarterbacks at a lot of levels, I think automatically think, yo, if you're going to be that quarterback, instantly you got to be the flash in the pan. And you got to be that consistently. And so Body showed that. The consistency was just helter-skelter, rather. And if he's able to continue to build upon what he is and come into next year as a complete polished guy, the sky's the limit for him as an individual talent, award-wise, accolade-wise. And it's going to coincide and make TSU a pretty big dark horse in a swag west. The second one, man, their secondary blue was really young. Um, are they ready to take that next step of development? Last year, Isaiah Hamilton, Calvin Henderson, they were forced to step in and play huge snaps as underclassmen for a very young TSU secondary. While Williams flashed promise in run defense as a predominant box safety, Hamilton starred on the boundary as the consummate cover corner, registering 86.7 coverage grade during his freshman year, and is expected to be a foundational piece for the secondary this coming season, how important and ready do you feel TSU is to take that next step as a collective secondary this season? Um, I, I think they're going to be better than people expect. And I think you mentioned the guy that I, I really wanted to talk about. I mean, Isaiah Hamilton was completely underrated last year. And because, yes, you know, the secondary stats you look at. It does, don't, doesn't bode well for the unit, but when you look at him individually in terms of film and, and analytics, man, it, it speaks to he was an absolute problem last year. And I think when you look at his makeup, he has the length, the strength, and the athleticism to hang with just about any wide receiver in the swag. And if Texas Southern could take a step in the right direction at the safety spot and the other corner across from him, the secondary has a has a chance to improve a lot. And I think the defense as a whole, when you look at Tyler Martinez at the defensive line, you look at some of the linebackers they return, that I would be very, very surprised if Texas Southern had the worst defense in the SWAC next year. And I'll just I'll leave it at that. Yeah, man. Uh, they show flashes in the games I saw. Um, they were just young. They were very young. Um, the coach talked about it during last season and the beginning of this year, talking about how um, he has so many freshmen that are really just figuring it out on the fly. But Hamilton as an individual is 
a very unique talent. That's a cornerstone you want to have. And if you can just have another guy opposite him that's decent, automatically, like Lou said, you're no longer the worst defense in the conference. Like you become at least middle of the pack and then everything else is buildable around there. But I like what they're building towards. They got a foundational piece in the secondary with Hamilton at quarterback with body. We know where Ladarius Owens is in the backfield. That leads me to the last one. Likelihood of TSU winning five games this year is the final question for the Tigers. Look, Blue, they have a great chance to start the year 1-0 versus PV because the Panthers, we're going to get to later, they have their own QB1 concerns. They got road tips against Pine Bluff and Alcorn State. Could be trap games for them, but they could get the upper hand because both are retooling programs. They've got Lincoln University for homecoming. That's a fourth win potentially. Um, it may take them having to upset Southern again like last year for them to be a five-win team. What's your take on their potential win total this season in year two of the Andrew Body experience? Uh, man, I mean, really and truly, if that defense, I said this, if the defense can finish top seven in the SWAC, which is about halfway, you know, an average defense, I think you are looking at them as potentially a top three team in the division. Because right now, I think they're better than PV and UAB. I mean, UAPB. And I think with the question marks surrounding Grambling and Alcorn, man, I mean, Texas Southern's right in that mix. And they have, they have, the defense has to take a step forward. But if you can have a middle of the pack defense combined with that offense, which we know is going to be explosive and take a step forward, Texas Southern, in my opinion, could be a top three team in, in the West this year. They honestly could. Um, defense is, is the key. And I think another key blue <clears throat> didn't touch base on it. But I will. Um, they're a leading receiver from a year ago that's returning is Jaron Johnson. He's third in catches, second in yards as a freshman. But that also means the receiving core around Jaron is going to be very green. It's, it's full of guys that played last year, but they're going to have enhanced reps that they never had before. So my biggest concern with TSU is their receiving room. As talented as body is, is somebody going to emerge that's not Jaron Johnson that could be a wide receiver one? Um, your thoughts on that potential? So, you know, I don't have any names that I've heard thus far throughout camp, but I do know that they they brought in a lot of talent from the Texas area, and we know the type of talent that that Texas produces at the wide receiver spot. But I still think Johnson has the ability to potentially be the number one pass catcher on that team. But they do have some guys that they've recruited that have four three four four speed, and if they can get a burner to stretch the top, the, to stretch the defense over the top, and in the back end of that defense, this offense unlocks a whole nother level, in my opinion. So that's that's going to be the question. Is last year we saw them play what was it, like fifty six freshmen, one of the highest marks in the FCS. If if those guys develop and they can have a, a handful of other guys develop like they did last year, like Andrew Body and some of those guys, I, th I think they'll have a wide receiving core that's going to be good enough for Andrew Body to take that next step forward. I faithfully agree. Um, Body and Hamilton took that next step. Um, if somebody else within the offensive side and defensive side do the same, they have a great chance to be a top three team in the Sweat West. Um, two teams left. Up next, Arkansas Pine Bluff. Um, their highest rated offensive graded player, Pass blocking wise, Mark Evans the third has been on everybody's draft radar. Um, and he's going to be a staple on the line for Pine Bluff entering his final season. Um, their highest returning defensive grade player is Javon Gray. He registered a 79.7 defensive grade on 419 total snaps in 2021. Question one, Blue, 
can Skylar Perry regain his magic? He's returning for a final year. And in 2020, Perry had a 71.3 offensive grade that plummeted last year to 61.4. He was very solid against Alcorn State week four. And then after that, he just he just disappeared. He was never really the same. He was benched for options that weren't any better than him. So he would come back in games that he was benched in. Um, what fate do you have that Doc Gamble and Perry can regain their solid spring showing in 2020 and be competent again in the Swag West? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know where to put them, man, because there, there were some bad games. I just felt like yeah. he lost his mojo about that Alcorn State game, and it just it just went all the way downhill. But they got some guys in the in the room that um really really and truly I think can develop into good quarterbacks. It's just going to be we don't know what Bubba McDowell wants in a quarterback. He's been so quiet this all season. I don't even know what he's looking for. I can't tell you. He was one of the coaches I didn't get a chance to talk to at SWAC Media Day. I don't even know what he what he what he's looking for. But I, I think Skylar Perry is not gonna have a very if he comes out and doesn't play well, mm, I, I don't know how long Bubba's gonna ride with him. But I think when you look at his offensive line led by Mark Evans, who I absolutely that is my guy as a former O lineman, watching his film is just beautiful, man. But the question marks for me are, does Skylar Perry have the weapons around him to really help him take that next step? And I don't know the answer to that question right now. I don't think there's a wide receiver that pops off you know, the screen for me. And I, I don't know if there's a running back that's, that you could say is going to be one of the top ones in the SWAC. And so that's the big question mark for me. I think the defensive side of the ball is going to be decent, as even though even with, even with losing Dumas and um, – the, the guy who went to Cheatham, who went to Kansas State. But, man, the question for me for Skylar Perry is, can he get his confidence back, and does he have anyone to help him as he develops throughout the season? These are big questions, indeed. Um, Want to come in and uh, correct a little bit. <laughs> it's okay, though. Um, He intermingled at times Pine Bluff and PV. <laughs> so yeah. you brought up Bubba. And, um, but we're going to get to PV later, though. But with – the Pine Bluff Golden Lions. Uh, yeah, with Perry and Doc Gamble, it's like 2020 was great for them. They were in a SWAC championship during the spring season. And in 2021, they showed early season promise, and then it just all dashed away. It just felt like Doc lost the locker room. Perry lost the feel of the game. And that leads me to question, too. Um, they're bringing in 101 student athletes on their roster. Um, and so my question is, what do you think is Doc Gamble's vision? Because his job's on the line. Um, they have a great chance to start 2-0, though, um, at Pine Bluff because they play Lane College and North American University. They're probably going to go 2-0. But after that, they got the money game versus Okie State that they're going to lose. And then they got SWAT Conference road games against Alcorn State and Southern. Five wins, I feel, may keep Gamble's job for another season because – I'm being realistic here. Everybody improves in the swag, arguably, but them in PB. So, but it does become a dice roll to pick who they can beat in conference. So what do you think it will take for Gamble's job to be secure? And what do you feel should be his complete vision for this football team in 2022? Consistency, man. Um, I think consistency is the number one thing you want to see from this team this year because that's something that was missing last year. And when you look, go back to their you know, SWAC championship appearance in the spring, that was something that they had is that every week they play consistently. 
And I, I think when you're looking at the win total to keep him, I just I don't know if I, I don't know if UAPB has like when I look at that job, is it tempting enough where you feel confident that you can go get someone who is better than Doc Gamble right now? Probably not. And so I think you're right about, I think four to six wins is good enough to keep his job. Anything less though, I just, I I don't know if you, I, I don't know how you argue to keep him, especially when you look at Hugh Jackson at Grambling, you look at Eric Dooley now, with the hype behind Southern, if Texas Southern has a big year, you have, you know, Coach Prime at Jackson State, Willie Simmons, the coaching is so good that if he goes out and gets you zero to three wins, I, I don't know how you can argue that he deserves another year. But four to six, I, I think you can rock with that, in, in my opinion. Especially coming just, what, almost a year removed from going to the SWAC championship? Yeah. Yeah, I think four wins, that's the mark. Because, you know, it feels like eons ago when they were in the SWAT championship game during the spring season. And after that, they've, they've just gotten lapped by everybody in the conference. And so I, I think you got to be realistic here with what Gamble's working with. Kudos to them to find 101 student athletes to put on the roster because it felt like during the offseason, everyone was leaving PV. And, I mean, not PV, but um, Pine Bluff. And so for them to come into the year with over 100 guys, potentially playing football for them is a plus. It's just going to come down to the culture they're trying to build, the continuity, and like you said, consistency. They get two layups early with Lane College and NAU. They should win those. But if they don't get past Alcorn and Southern, well, you know, them beating Alcorn and Southern is pretty rare. But if they get killed by those two teams, I think that's going to raise a lot of alarm bells. And I wouldn't be surprised if Pine Bluff next season enters the celebrity coach sweepstakes because I think they, they see the writing on the wall. Dion's here, Hugh Jackson's here, Dooley, Dancy. Um, it's going to probably be hard to just sell to your fan base. We can recycle somebody or hire somebody in-house. So maybe you could sell to them. Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Rod Woodson, who was in the running for the Alabama State job. Um, I think that's what's next down the pipeline for Pine Bluff in the future. But the final one, on a brighter note, um, what can potentially make Mark Evans the third a first-round SWAC, SWAC draft selection in 2023? Because he's got the hardware and, hardware and the individual accolades statewide and nationally. He's on the radar for all the key major NFL draft sites. This is his season to lose. And really all he has to do is continue to play up to his potential. Um, what kind of season do you think he needs to have to finish with a strong first round draft candidacy. Um I think he's got to he's got to get invited to the senior bowl or something like that and go down there and ball out. And if he can if he's he's probably going to repeat his first team swag, you know, all conference. He's already gained the FCS All-American honor this preseason. I wouldn't be surprised if he repeats that this postseason. Um if he just continues what he's doing, man, I don't see why he can't be a day two pick. First round's tough, even though the NFL has historically respected SWAC offensive linemen. But man, getting to the first round is really, really hard. But he has the hype already. The one question mark is, is is the school's perception going to hurt him at all? And that that's the one question mark I have. But in my opinion, he has day one talent. But I think he's a day two pick, man, as long as he just goes out there and does what he's supposed to do. Yeah, he's day one talent. 
Um, if he does what he needs to do, he, he'll get there. And if he doesn't get to day one, day two for sure. And what he also has going for him is NFL pedigree within his own institution. Teron Armstead was a Pine Bluff grad. He went mid-round, and he's balled out with the Saints. So while the team may not be up to par this year, if we turn on the tape and say, yo, this team wasn't that good, but he he dominated. He did what he was supposed to do. That's going to help his draft stock reach its expected potential. Last but not least in the Swag West, before we round it off with me and Blue going back and forth on who we have winning individual awards, Prairie View A&M, um, the mystery in the Swag. Uh, highest returning offensive graded player is Jaden Stewart, the running back who finished with an 81.4 offensive grade on 284 snaps. Their highest returning defensive player is D-Lyman Troy James. He registered an 80.4 defensive grade last season. Um, question one, what is the pulse of this team under head coach Bubba McDaniel? You said well, you weren't even able to talk to him at media day. And, you know, reading what's going on there was like trying to find a needle in the haystack. <laughs> like, it was kind of hard. But the feeling out of PV is... It's kind of what we think. Um, the head coaching regime may have lost its way with the current players there. Dumas transferred. Drake Cheatham transferred. Um, Jawan Pass has graduated. So the QB1 search has been a mystery. Um, they're searching for new leadership within the club and a team identity that doesn't seem to be salvaged yet by McDaniels. Um, do you feel it could be done in a timely fashion before week one? Man, it's just the fact that he lost so many players to the transfer portal and he was hired so late just does not bode well for this team. And yes, you know, the quarterback position is a big question mark, but for me, the offensive line is a question mark. The wide receiving course is a question mark. I mean, they did, there's just so many question marks around the entire program. Cause there was so much, there were so many question marks around the hire in general. And so, for me, I just I don't know where to put I don't know where 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 to put them right now, man. I think PV arguably is probably the biggest question mark for me in the SWAC. Uh, really and truly, just because we don't know we don't know what Bubba McDaniel is going to bring. We don't know about his staff that he hired. We don't know how they're going to replace Jason Dumas, uh, Jake Drake Cheatham, uh, Jawan Pass. There's just to me, there's way too many question marks for me to be confident in really putting them anywhere right now. To be honest with you. So the selling point PV has had off of what I've read, um, contrary to them losing some key guys in the portal and graduation. I mean, Dumas was first team all swag. Cheatham was first team all swag. Pass was the quarterback that, yeah, he flamed out to end the year, but he was a huge part of the reason why they were in the swag championship. They're all gone. But what PV is pushing, journalistically, that is, they returned 15 starters from last year's conference championship participant team and McDaniels really likes Trazon Conley at QB one. Um, my thing with Conley is I feel like he's a better rusher than he is passer, which opens the door to the million dollar question. Who, who is the most stable guy at QB one for them on the roster? Because I see Conley, I've seen Dumas, CJ Dumas, the true freshman from Katy, Texas, and they have Chris Scott from Blaine college. Um, are you sold on Conley being QB1? Personally, I'm not. Well, how do you think they're going to figure out that mystery overall? I mean, I think he's I think he's QB1 because they brought him to media day, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think if there was any question of whether he was going to make it or not, I don't think they would have put him in that position to represent them at media day. So I think right now Conley's the guy. And we'll see what he turns into. 
you know, from the film I've seen on him, I think he has a lot of question marks like the rest of the team, but you kind of put him in that Jamari Jones category where his athleticism is there, but are you sure that he can be your every, you know, your every down passer and work the intermediate to short game? But we'll see, man. I think we're going to find out a lot about them early. They got some big games. The Incarnate Word game sticks out as a big one. They open up the season with with Texas Southern, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so I, I think we're going to find out a lot about them because if they, that offense can't move the ball against Texas Southern, it could be a very, very, very long season for for this team. Yeah, that's that's the big litmus test. Look, we just got done talking about Texas Southern and how they can improve defensively. But if Trazon comes out there and PV's offense just doesn't look like it belongs on the field, that's a concern. And, and the vibe I've gotten from McDaniel in terms of how he's talking and what he's preaching, he's a very big advocate for veteran leadership. Like It seems like he's going to ride with the guys that have been here and stuck with the program despite the turmoil that's happened this past season. Trazon's one of those guys, but I just feel like quarterback roster-wise, I think Dumas, the freshman, is the better option because I feel like he's the better passer and he has a better upside. But it does look like McDaniels in year one is prioritizing veteran leadership, veteran play, because he feels like maybe that can coincide with consistency for the team. But, you know, my opinion on that is every upperclassman can't play. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, they might be upperclassmen in leadership, but sometimes the underclassmen are just better talents. And that's what I feel is they're at their QB position group. I feel like Dumas is better. And I feel like Chris Scott, the rest of Jr. is better off of what I've seen from tape. So we'll see what happens there. Because I don't think long-term Conley's going to be the starter. I think if they struggle early, they're going to have a quarterback carousel group, which will probably inevitably tank their season. But I think it will at least make them realize he's not it. And they got to go somewhere else. Um, last question is the PV hype. Like, we, we agree <laughs> there's a lot of question, but the, the analysts and the journalists within the SWAC area, they really like PV. Like, they have them finishing top three in the SWAC West despite losing Dumas, despite losing Cheetah, um, who I think will make – who I think because they're not there, the defense will take a step back. But their starting secondary does have three seniors. They've got a preseason second-team all-SWAC D lineman in Troy James. How do you think their veteran leadership will help in a semi-transition year for the PV institution? <laughs> I'm not very confident. I mean, the preseason SWAC poll – voted voted on by the SIDs and the head coaches. I just think instead of putting in effort, they just kind of copy and paste it like, oh, PV was really good last year, so we're just going to put them here because we can't have them any lower. For me, I don't see them finishing any higher than fourth in the division. And there's just too many question marks, and there's too many good teams in that division with Southern, you know, reloading. We, we just talked about Texas Southern, what Grambling brought in. I'm way more confident in all those teams than I am PV. I'm more confident in Alcorn State, even with some of their question marks, than I am PV. So I think their ceiling is probably fourth in that division. Yeah, I think their ceiling's fourth. Um, I have them potentially being the worst team in the SWAC West. They might mess around and be the worst team in, in the SWAC. Um, and it, it's just because... I'm not sold on them at QB1, and they have tons of other concerns out wide. I, I think the only thing that you can rely on is they got veterans on the back end who will be useful. Um, they do have Jaden Stewart at running back. I think the way that they're going to lean on their running game, he could potentially be in a 1,000-yard rusher, but they're just not a complete enough team to be a factor this year. They're not, and I think PV might be 
two to three years away. Because eventually when these seniors are going blue, they got to start over and rebuild through the recruiting cycle. And that's going to take time. Ask Texas Southern. So I just don't see it. And we're just going to agree to leave it right there. Now, to wrap it up, um, me and Blue are going to go going to go back and forth in terms of who do we have as SWAC preseason selection picks. And we're going to start Offensive Player of the Year. Blue, who do you have potentially coming out with that award? Uh, I think it's Shador's award to lose. Um because as much as it's a stat award, it's also a hype award. And I think, I mean, let's be honest, if he puts up a similar year to what he had last year, even improves on it a little bit, I don't think it matters what many other people do. Outside of putting up historic numbers, he's probably going to come away with that. I think the sleepers are, of course, Andrew Body, And I think another sleeper is D. Davis. And then an extra sleeper is Maurice Washington over at Grambling. I think those are your three, four sleepers for that award. But I think it's Shador Sanders. Um award to lose yeah i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna take a unique swing i think kamari Everett can get it um you know the quarterback room is, is a lot better than what it was a year ago um i think we, we agree bcu as a team will be at least a 500 ball club and if he potentially has an 11 to 1200 yard receiving season with double digit touchdowns and he's a first team all-american i don't see why not he can be included within the offensive player of the year sweepstakes. I think Shadur is the safe answer. Um, but my only thing with Shadur is there's a chance he could take a slight step back because they're in a new offensive system. The offensive line is transitioning. Um, and the competition overall, I think, in the SWAC has gotten better. Um, I don't think the SWAC competition has gotten better enough to slow down Kamari Everett. And if he can clear the century mark, have double-digit touchdowns, and get national recognition, I see him as a potential offensive player of the year candidate. Defensive player of the year, Blue, we might be on the same page with this. Who do you have winning that award? Uh, Jason Dumas. I don't even know if it's a conversation to be had. I, I think <laughs> the fact that he was as dominant and put up what he did at PV where he really didn't have a lot of help around him, I, I think is just another reason why if you pair him with the Butt Buchanan Award, former Butt Buchanan Award winner Jordan Lewis, the junior college defensive player of the year in Trey Lang. And on top of that, you got Cam uh, Peterson and a bunch of other guys. Jason Dumas is not going to face the amount of double teams, triple teams he faced last year. He is probably, in my opinion, it's he's due for one. And I, I think he comes away with that, um, with that defensive player of the year award. Yes, yeah, Dumas. Um, I think a, a distant second might be soon Deata Anderson because yep. of what he presents measurable-wise, but it's Dumas. Everything you stated is, is true. Um, he was killing double and triple teams with PV. Um, that was against Jackson State. That was against a Texas A&M, FBS, FCS. It didn't matter. He, he was doing work. And now with Southern, he'll still face doubles because he's a known commodity within the conference. That's just the overall sign of respect, but not as many. And he's going to wreak havoc in the run game and in the pass game. Yeah, man, he, he he's a lock. Um, only way he won't get it is if, knock on wood, he gets hurt. I don't want that to happen to the young man. But he's a talent, and I think he, it's, it's clear-cut. Swag Newcomer of the Year. Um, Blue, who you have on that one? This one's tough, man, because there are a million newcomers. Um, I, you know, I think an in, two interesting choices, I think, Gregory Great at Jackson State at the safety spot is somebody who I'm really, really excited to see. I, but I think my favorite right now, because we know that offensive players sometimes have a little bit of a bias with these awards, 
Uh, I think it's a guy I talked about earlier, Dallas Daniels for Jackson State. If he goes out there and leads Jackson State in receiving and puts up big numbers, I can see him taking it. So I'll put him as my winner. I think honorable mentions could be Isaiah Major at FAMU at the middle linebacker spot. I think even D Davis could potentially be in the running for this if he has a big year, but just doesn't, you know, have enough to get that um, offensive player of the year award. And I think both Bowie state transfers for Southern could potentially be in the running for this, both secondary guys. Um, I think Dimitri Morcel is probably my favorite there. He is just different. He's a ball hog and is going to be in a lot of situations to put up a lot of great plays. And so uh, those would be my honorable mentions, but right now I'm probably going to go with Dallas Daniels at the wide receiver spot for Jackson state. Dallas Daniels. That's a bold, bold, bold pick. Um, for me is D Davis. Um, and I, I don't feel like D Davis has like the safest bet to get it because Alabama state, I think all they have to do is have a winning record and D Davis be the catalyst of that. Um, and he's a dual threat with tremendous arm strength down the field. We talked about how the intermediate and the short passing games need improvement, but he's going to be the straw that stirs Alabama state's drink offensively in their spread running run attack. I think he's going to thrive in that offense with the new OC. And if Alabama State finishes the year six and five or seven and four, I think he's a lot to be a swag newcomer of the year because they're going to be that because of him offensively. Um, Coach of the year for you, Blue, who you have coming out on top with that award? Eric Dooley. I think he's going to yeah. take it, especially if they win the West. Now, a dark horse, though, if Willie Simmons goes out there and wins the SWAC East, go ahead and throw it to him. And Connell Maynard's in the same boat, too, there, where if he has a big rebound year for Quincy Casey, you know, I think he can make a run for it. But I think my favorite right now is Eric Dooley for Southern, because if he goes out year one and wins that division, got to give it to him, honestly. Yeah, man, I got Dooley as well. Um, the talent's there. And, like, <laughs> The talent's there defensively, and I think offensively they have enough personnel that coincides with his image of an offense. Because I think with a lot of these offensive coaches throughout college football, they come in with a certain perspective, a certain style they want to run, and it may take a year to do that because they don't have the personnel. He got the personnel in a year's time. They're going to thrive. They're going to be successful. I think Southern could be a potential 8-9 win team, and if they are that, they, I mean, they're going to win the Swag West, and he's going to be the Swag Coach of the Year. Um, divisional winners, who do you have winning the SWAC East? Uh, Jackson State. I think they got to be the favorite until proven otherwise. And with the talent that they brought in, I, I'm going to lean Jackson State here. I think A&M and FAMU, well, I, mean, I guess they're both A&M, Alabama A&M and FAMU are going to give them runs for their money. Alabama State's a dark horse, but I'm going to go with Jackson State winning that division this year. Yeah, I'm going to go JSU as well. I don't see them going undefeated. Um, I know their fan base is really pushing that rhetoric, and I think they're going to possibly get let down because I wouldn't be shocked if they start the year off with a loss against FAMU. Um, Southern is a team that they play later in the year. Southern historically has owned Jackson State, and even last year when Jackson State clearly had the better team, that game went down to the wire in bat. I know it's hard to win in the vet, but Southern has won in the vet in the past. Yes, that's been against teams in the vet, that Jackson State is fielded that aren't like what they are now. But we can agree this is Southern's best team that they fielded in the Deion Sanders era. So, um, you know, JSU's going to lose some games, but they're going to win the East. I, I think they beat it. They match up well with everybody else except FAMU because they're very similar, but that doesn't mean they don't match up with FAMU. So 
because of that, um, I have them winning the East. You're right, though, about the dark horse being the Alabama State. If they can get the quarterback situation down, they can compete with anyone, um, not just in the division but in the conference. But I think safe bet is JSU in the East. Um, Swag West, who do you have? Southern right now. I think Southern is my pick here. And the dark horse being Texas Southern. I think Southern right now, as long as Bashaw McCray lives up to the hype, that defense is going to be too good to beat most of the time. And as long as that offense can get you 21 to 24 points, you're probably outscoring everyone you play outside of maybe Jackson State. I agree, man. Southern, they got it. Um, <laughs> this was a team last year. They weren't able to finish games. And I think a lot of it has to do with inconsistent quarterback play, erratic coaching, and a defense that would fold at the worst times, you don't have to worry about any of that anymore. Um, better coaching, better quarterback play, more complete defense. They're going to run the football. They're going to prioritize it as well. I think that's the safe bet. Southern. Dark Horse, I still think, is potentially grambling because, yeah, there are concerns offensively because they're new. They're going to be new. Um, that front seven is nasty. Um, I think eventually Hugh Jackson's going to figure out how to make the dots connect offensively. They're going to run the football with their stable of backs led by Maurice Washington. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bayou Classic decides who wins the West. And that's going to be must-see TV. Um, now, SWAT champions. JSU's going to win the East. Southern's going to win the West. Who do you have winning the SWAT title? I uh, got Southern. Uh, I mean, not Southern. My bad, my bad. Ooh, almost, almost. <laughs> took that one out no i got jackson state i I think southern has an opportunity to possibly catch them in the regular season but Mm -hmm. i think jackson state's one of those teams that you've seen in in the past that it's going to be hard to beat twice if they get another shot with you with that coaching staff with how talented that team is i i just don't know if you can get them twice so I, i think jackson state right now would be my pick to win the swag and it's just it speaks to the level of talent and consistency and the coaching staff that Deion Sanders has put together at Jackson State. Man, Blue, I thought we was going to be in. going to be <laughs> one with the pick. I got Southern, man. And the Ooh. reason why is Southern reminds me a lot of that South Carolina State team. Now, they don't have the receivers that South Carolina State has, but they're built the same. And that was the team that gave JSU props. And it, it it's not just – obviously, South Carolina State dominated them, but – PV gave them issues as well with their front. And yeah, Jackson State has went out of their way to say, yo, we're going to remodel our front line. And I think they're going to be a little bit better than they were last year. But Jason Dumas is unblockable. They're going to have to account for him. That means two guys off the edge, one-on-one. I trust Southern to do, you know, take advantage. The run game for Southern as well. They're going to run the football with a lot more volume than they did a year before. I think McCray, he isn't a world beater, but you don't need a world beater, in my opinion, to beat Jackson State. You just need a guy that's competent. Corey Fields was not competent in the first half, but he was competent in the second. I think they have the team to beat Jackson State and win the and win the swag. I really do. Um, and that's, that's why I take on it there. I know it's, it's a bold one. Um, and so, <laughs> and so you know, a lot of things got to follow. I feel what you're saying, Blue. Jackson State, man, that's a talented team to beat twice. And for Southern to win it all, they're probably going to have to beat them twice. Um, but I think they can do it, man. I, Dooley, I think, is just as good of a coach as Dion. They have just as talented of a team as Jackson State. Um, I think they can do it, man. I have, I have Southern winning the swag. I really do. Um, 
But with that, that's it, man, for this midweek episode of the Swag Preview. It's great to have my guy Blue on. But before I let Blue go, man, um, you got a heavy schedule ahead of you, man, in these coming weeks. You're going to be at a lot of the bangers in the FCS football world. Talk about the games you can't wait to see and the players that you feel are under the radar that can really shock a lot of people, not just in the SWAC, but in the FCS overall. Oh, man, I, I appreciate you having me, man. I always love hopping on here. Uh, yeah, kickoffs, what, like 10 days ten days away when we're recording this. So um, really, really excited. I'll be at week zero, uh, the MEAC SWAC Challenge. So I get to see D. Davis's, um, you know, his his uh, his first snaps as an Alabama State Hornet, man. I, I'm excited to see that. Uh, week one, I'll be in Lorman for Alcorn State, Stephen F. Alston. And week two, I'll be at Tennessee State, Jackson State, and Memphis. And, that's a game that I, I don't think a lot of people are talk, giving enough credit for. I think when you look at Draylon Ellis coming in, the former OVC Player of the Year, coming in to be the QB one there for Tennessee State, they've returned Devon Starling at the running back spot. Four-star wide receiver um, transfer Holloman from Georgia comes in to match with Zaire Thornton, who was an all-conference player this preseason. The defensive line now has three all-conference players. They've been all conference linebacker combined with four star transfer, uh, Kevon Pope. And now you got a reloaded secondary. So I think that Tennessee State team, you mentioned Jackson State not going undefeated. I said on my show, I think the team with the best chance to beat them is Tennessee State week two. Coming off an emotional game against FAMU, T- Tennessee State opens their season with Eastern Washington, which is going to be a great test up there on the red turf. And that's a game that I'm really excited for, man. If I had the money to get to Cheney, Washington, I would do it. But that is a long trip for Mobile, Alabama. Um, but, man, I- I'm just excited for this season, man. There's so many storylines around the FCS, around the swag that I think this is, you know, even people on my show and me talking to, you know, you and some other guys who are content creators and analysts out here. It's just the season feels like it, it, it honestly is just like dragging all this off season, man. It's, it feels like it's been forever. And I think it, it's a perception thing with the spring season and we got football twice in a calendar year. And it's like, this has felt like the longest off season ever, man. But a big schedule. I'm going to announce some more games soon. I think one of them is probably going to be that Campbell Jackson State game, which I'm really excited for. Man, Haj Malik Williams is going to bring that team down there. They got the Big South Defensive Player of the Year, two time Big South Defensive Player of the Year, Brevin Allen at defensive end. That's going to be a great test with Mike Minter versus Coach Prime. But man, I appreciate you having me, man. And the season cannot get here fast enough. It cannot. It cannot indeed, man. Um, hey, I. I share the same sentiment. Um, I haven't been the most locked in on college football in a while. Um, the products that's potentially coming out in the SWAC is incredible. SWAC teams going against out-of-conference opponents. It's kind of what me, you, and Oscar have been banging on the table for. We're finally going to get it this year. And I think we're going to get everybody's best punch because everybody has something to prove. And I got to give huge credit to Dion and Jackson State. They pushed everybody in this conference. I feel everybody. But maybe PV and Pound Bluff got better. <laughs> overall as organizations and I think that's going to produce the best brand of swag football that the conference's fans has ever seen and I can't wait to really have it unfold but with that man great midweek swag preview episode with my boy blue I'm gonna try to get this out to you guys um ASAP before the night is over um I'll be back again Friday with a more NFL focus with my new guest Brian McFadden can wait for you guys to hear that but without further ado, the shit I can believe with money, independent cell. I'm going to holler at you guys later in the week. Peace.